the Pilot TV podcast this week, we are taking an unorthodox approach to family strife, along with Sharon Horgan and her siblings in Bad Sisters on Apple TV+. Finding out what makes a marriage tick with Nicola Walker and Sean Bean in Marriage on BBC One. And discovering just why mobile phones will be the death of all of us in BBC Three Horror Red Rose. But more than all of that, this week the Pilot TV podcast can announce we have precisely one degree of Kevin Bacon, as the man himself joins us on the show to talk life, the universe, and the new season of City on a Hill. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV Podcast, your weekly guide to every show that matters, specifically episode 199 of the Pilot TV Podcast, and you know what that means. Yes, it means the next show will be our live 200th episode, which takes place on Sunday, the 21st of August, at King's Place in London. And if you want to know just what's going to go down on the day, then we do have a few announcements we can share right now. But, 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 before we do that, before we do that, I should introduce my two co-hosts today. First up, joining us from the hallowed halls of Heat magazine, where she both advises and torments Boyd for all eternity, <laughs> the Lucien to his Morpheus, if you will. It is none other than Kay Ribeiro. Hello, Kay. Hey, James. Do you like Lucien? This is good. Yes, good. I loved it. Yeah, and it's good, and good. it's entirely accurate. Okay, good. good. Do you know what yeah. the hell he's talking about? No. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> all, I, I, all I heard and I agreed with is the tormenting. Mm. I mean, that seems fair to me. But of course, with us is a man who, like Roderick Burgess, summoned the Sandman for his own wicked ends, only to strip it of its helm, sand and ruby, and cruelly imprison it in a dungeon for a hundred years, presumably alongside Stephen Frears. It's Boyd Hilton. <laughs> Hello. Hi, Boyd. Hi. How you doing? Good. You good? Yeah. Excellent. Excellent. I've had lots of feedback about my you uh, have. Sandman you have. review. Um, from... All good? Or... <laughs> no, I've had a lot of angry uh, <laughs> Neil Gaiman fans and a lot of angry James Dyer fans kind of having oh, a go gosh. at me. Yeah. So, Apologise to James. The Dyer walls were down. Force. Yeah, bowed down before James and his <laughs> opinion of the Sandman, even though it's absolutely wrong. I find it distressing, the number yeah. of people who love James. It is, it is absolutely astonishing, yeah. Luckily, it's good that there's an army of James fans because that means that we will have a lot of people in attendance at our uh, live show because without, you know, I mean, that's a huge chunk of our audience. I mean, it's, it's, it should be should be announced right here and now that if you don't attend for any reason, then your your diehard badge is stripped. Absolutely. Membership is revoked yeah. and you are excommunicado. Yeah. Completely. Oh, and by the way, if you're one of those people who regularly tweets as one of our regular followers and you don't come to the live event, then you're not allowed to tweet us every day. <laughs> <laughs> that seems fair. Yeah. That does seem fair. And as we've spoken, living in another country is no excuse. Mm, no. Right? I mean, no, I'm living in like Scotland or something and saying you can't afford to come down to London. I mean, Scotland, someone was like, oh, no, but I live in Australia. And planes exist, boats exist. They've got plenty of time to arrange tickets. That's right. That's right, I'm saying. Exactly. Yeah. We don't, there's not a rail strike, is there, that day? I mean, there is the day before. Oh, okay. Not, that, <laughs> yeah, actually, not this day, though. There not, is rail chaos, I have to say. Don't but say that. No, <laughs> not no. on the Sunday 21st. It's no, but fine. if you really cared, you'd walk. No, if you really well, cared, true. Boyd will drive in his car. I don't even know he has a car. <laughs> Boyd drive. will drive in a car and he will come and pick you up and he'll drive you to the show. That's a promise. Because <laughs> he doesn't drive, he'll have to get his... Yeah, um, that is, his do you not have a license? No. I right. drive so so that would be very interesting. And pick you up in a stolen car, which he has no license to drive and may well kill you on the way here. I'm in a zip car. Get a zip car. No, he'll just get his driver in his limo. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. And the limo will come and yeah. pick everyone up. Yeah. Boy, do you not know how to drive? Because if you were to drive, no one would be able to see your sneakers. <laughs> no, but it is quite, it's a little bit to do with um, um, that kind of culture because one of the reasons why I never got even thought of learning to drive was because I kind of had a skateboard when I was about like, oh you know, 16. <laughs> and I was like, who needs, who needs to be able to learn to drive? Okay, question. Right. Yeah. In the last few years, yeah. the last 10 years, for example, yeah. is that still the excuse? 
Well, I've still got the skateboard, um, a yeah. skateboard, or if not two in my flat. But um, I know I just once, once it kind of goes, but it just passed me by um, the whole th- opportunity. And then I never. And then I, was, I, was, I live in London, and you know. But and there have been times where, like for example, I travelled across America when I was on a skateboard you know, <laughs> uh, with with three people who were all driving the VW bus they were in, and I was the one who didn't drive, and I just sat were you hanging on the back like Martin McFly? Yeah, pretty much, yeah. pretty much. All right, I'm amending the promise. Boyd will pick you up on his skateboard and skate you <laughs> yeah. down to King's Place in London for the 200 show on Sunday and it will be epic. Let's tell people why it's going to be epic. So so we do have some announcements. By the time this goes out, they will have gone out last week. So things that will be happening in the daytime segment, I can announce thus far, we will be having a live Mega Banshee. I mean, that's not a huge shock, I'm sure, really. People know that we would do a Banshee segment. That's not completely wild. But so the way this one's going to work is we are each of us, me, you, returning hero Terry White, Beth Webb, we are going to bring our own Banshees, but our A Banshee game. It's going to be the Banshee. It's going to be the one Banshee that we think out Banshees all other Banshees. And if you don't know what the Banshee segment is, you haven't listened to the podcast long enough. But suffice to say, it's based on the Jonathan Tropper show, Banshee, that I used to bang on about. And it is when we used to recommend old shows that we think are little known, little seen, but like gems that you should have watched. So we are going to dig deep into our archives. Yeah, it's a segment we retired like years ago. <laughs> that, which I'm resurrecting yeah, for 200 just because I love it. New, newer listeners may yeah. not know because we haven't done it for fucking years. <laughs> We haven't done it for ages, but it's genius. So we're going to recommend these shows, and then Kay, who's lazy and couldn't be asked to come up with one, Mm -hmm. is going to partly judge, but more to point, the audience is going to judge, which is the best one. I'm going to whip up the audience into a real, like, frenetic... Kay's our hype man. Have you invested in uh, electronic voting devices where we know how many people... No, there will be be a very technically accurate audience excitement measurement system that we will use to count the votes. I might even suggest people put their hands up. I haven't decided yet. Oh, calm down, Kay. It's not fucking secondary school. The, the, the power's gone to my head. It has. It's like, yeah. She's gone rogue. She's gone absolutely rogue already. <laughs> I didn't get that signed off by James. He's furious. Oh Look God. at him. Mm. What is happening? So, okay, but, and I may, if I have the time, end up at Computer Exchange and see if I can find some copies of these shows. But we'll see what happens. We'll see what happens. But, uh, so that's the first thing that's going to happen. But more exciting than that, we are going to have the first She-Hulk spoiler special episode. The Empire spoiler special episode is going to take place live at the event. So if you're a subscriber to our spoiler special podcast, you will, of course, know that the uh, <laughs> Marvel Cinematic Universe Orchestra and their kazoos uh, do put on uh, some random rambling thoughts about the Marvel shows. And we'll be doing that first one live in the room. Chris Hewitt will be there. Helena Horror will be there. Someone else will be there. And it'll be fun. So we can you, do that. You'll be there. Oh, yeah, me too. I'll yeah. be on it too. I've forgotten about that. Yeah. Uh, I'll be doing that too. So that's exciting. And while we're talking about the Empire team, those who came to Empire 500, the 500th episode of the Empire podcast, will remember that a grave injustice was perpetrated. What? The big Empire movie quiz was not to quote Donald Trump, rigged. And uh, I felt the team pilot was was unfairly deprived of our crown as we should have been the victors in that quiz. And I think, had I not fucked up that Star Wars question, we 100% would have done. So, so, yeah, so You were a very big disappointment. I, I mean, I was a liability. How big, There's no how, around it. how big a loss was it? It was a big loss. Oh, God. It was not, it was not a small loss. It was not a close thing. Oh, but like I say, okay. I think I'm the only one who got any questions right. <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> Hang your head in shame, James. We we may not have not done that well. But, hey, hey, home field advantage, this is going to be a TV quiz. And Chris Hewitt 
watches like three TV shows, so I'm saying we're in with yeah, a shout. The only problem here is that you're saying the questions and you only watch about three TV I mean, actually, you, you, I mean... To, <laughs> I only like about three you TV You only shows. like about three, You have a, but you have such a massive skew. I am I am slightly right. worthy of you. I'm, I'm offering my services yeah. right now to help needed. James with this. For example, well, like you can't have a comedy section because you don't like TV comedy, so what's going to happen? Well, <laughs> see, see, this is the thing that my sensibilities, should we say, skew, skew. I think, as we talked about yesterday, if K is the Vox Populi, I am the Vox Nerderi. And yeah. I think that they skew very geeky and obviously that is home turf for Chris and Helen so they do have a little bit of advantage in terms of genre yeah but you know but we'll see we'll see I'm going to put together a quiz I'm going to be the quiz master so I shall be entirely neutral and unbiased uh, and we will mm. field team pilot on the one hand and we will field team empire on the other and we shall see what happens in this grudge match for the ages so I'm announcing that as well that's going to happen yeah. we have a panel an art of storytelling panel which I'm very very excited about so legendary screenwriters Sarah Phelps Joe Barton and Sophie Petzl are joining us all friends of the pod on stage to talk about what it takes to make great shows in the era of peak TV and you know how they go about doing things as storytellers and that is a subject that fascinates me I am super excited about this yeah Yeah, that's actually a reason to to, I mean us us pitting around you know with a quiz and you know banshee and just kind of like masturbatorily just chatting (laughs) shit to each other I know but this is actually three actual properly talented people with, with something jobs. to say with yeah. actual success <laughs> and jobs telling us what, what you know important yeah. stuff that will is. you learn how to be the next great screenwriter possibly yeah will you hear Sophie bang on about Picard for 45 minutes <laughs> very likely uh, who knows who knows what is in store but I for one am very excited about that particular one so the art of storytelling panel has been announced we also have a special screening of a special episode of a very special show now that I am not going to announce we're not going to say what that show is but it will be the whole episode. It will never have been seen before. It is an exclusive for Pilot 200. Uh, I am extremely psyched. Boyd has watched the episode mm. and said it's... it's It is really exciting. I mean, it's probably yeah. embargoed, but fuck it. It's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so we're very excited and then we may have some people involved in that show along yeah, as well. Hopefully, <laughs> hopefully, hopefully. says Boyd. Uh, yeah, well, we think so. Yeah. They're coming, Boyd. Just be positive. Yeah. No, it's a, that is a big exclusive though. They are that's coming and they're going to be a Q&A after that screening. Yeah. And that's the stuff we have announced thus far for the day. There will be more stuff going on. But in the evening, obviously, it's a 200th episode. So it will be me, it will be Kay, it will be Boyd, it will be Beth, it will be Terry, it will be everyone you could possibly hope involved in this. We will be doing things. We will be talking about TV shows <laughs> as is our one. Terry will call me a bellend. All the stuff that you want from the show. Uh, we will also have some guests. Ooh. One of which, one of which I can now announce. I cannot announce the others at the stage, but I can announce one. And that is the legendary... Can you hear him? Yes, you can. It is Stephen Toast, Matt Berry himself, <gasps> celebrating 10 years of Toast of London. And I'm sure talking about all sorts of other things as well. Uh, so that's going to be co- pretty cool as well. That's a good guest. Uh, yeah. Mm. Uh, it, it, yeah. Very good. Pretty pretty exciting. But he's yeah. Matt Berry is one of the funniest people on TV, obviously, Jim. I mean, you wouldn't know because... You <laughs> well, it's comedy, isn't it? Things, yeah. Yeah. But yeah, he is an absolute legend. But also, it completes, the circle is now complete because we've had Clem Fandango on. Yes. And now we'll have had yes. Stephen Toast on. And so, you know... Yeah. terrific very exciting great stuff yeah. uh, there will be other guests in the evening as well there may even be a presentation of some footage Ooh. from a very exciting upcoming show as well uh, which I'm super super psyched about uh, but I'm not announcing that at this stage either 
Well, a couple of days have passed since we recorded this, and turns out I have announced it. We are, in fact, going to be showing an extended action sequence from the upcoming second season of Sky's Gangs of London, which is very, very exciting. So not only will you get to see a roughly 12-minute insane action sequence from the second season, but the director, Corinne Hardy, will be there to talk all about that sequence, and we will have someone from the show who's in that sequence there to talk about it as well. Very exciting stuff. And it just so happens, doesn't it? I think I can safely say that it, the, we will be reviewing on the actual podcast on that evening House of the Dragon because that does arrive it does. in our review list. And yes. we're all, I, I don't know about you, but I'm going to the premiere on Monday. As am I. Yeah. Yes. Okay. I am busy, but I did get invited. <laughs> good, good. Uh, so, yeah, so that will be our proper review of that show. Yeah. And obviously, I mean, the whole world awaits to see what we think of that. Yeah. Because it airs the day after yeah. the podcast. Yeah. So, yeah. Exciting times. Exciting, exciting times. House of the Dragon, then. Let's hope there is more dragon-related excitement on the evening, but we will find out. Uh, so, yeah, 200. Very exciting. If you haven't booked your tickets, do book them now. You can book them at, <gasps> deep breath, www.kingsplace.co.uk slash what's-on slash the-pilot-tv-podcast-live-200th-episode-celebration. <gasps> that is the URL. You don't have to remember that. It's pinned in my top <laughs> tweets, or you can fucking Google it. I like. mean, genuinely, can you make it any harder for anyone to book a ticket? <laughs> I put, I, I put the link in the pr- description for the previous podcast. I put a nice little bitly of the links. So they can get that there. They can Google it. You can go to the King's Place website. You can go to my Twitter at James C. Dyer. There are many ways of finding it, but find it you must. James, question. How close are you to having a nervo about all this? Pretty close. <laughs> Pretty close. So all James fans, if you want to stop him being carted <laughs> off, yeah. please come and see us because, you know. I'm not saying I haven't been sleeping or I have been having very vivid anxiety dreams. <laughs> Often about TV personalities. Like, it's it's been a lot. Yeah, yeah, it's been a lot. It's going to be worth it, though. It's going to be great. I hope mm. so. I hope so. Historic. It's <laughs> well, going to be historic. It's going to be amazing. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. It's going to be amazing. Yeah. Right. Euphemism for we don't know whether it's going to be good or not. It's going to be brilliant. It's yeah. going to be the no, best be... pilot ever. Yes. In fact, no, do you know what? Fuck it. It's going to be the single best podcast. No, fuck that. It's going to be the best live event in the history of humans. Okay. He has lost it. Yeah. yeah. That's what it's going to be. It's going to be worth coming. Just Even just to see um, Chris Hewitt, for example, complaining that we've completely stolen the format from his <laughs> empire, his award winning <laughs> Empire 500, which he yeah. will be saying. Of I course predict now, yeah. if you predict one thing that's going to happen on the day him making that point relentlessly again and again and again it's for as long as he's on pod, stage. It's fine. It's keeping it in the family. Yeah. We shall see. But also, if you don't come on the day, you will not know what trainers Boyd is wearing. That's true. For the event. Uh, yeah, big, big or whether he has wardrobe changes between yeah, panels. I mean, who decision knows? to make. Oh, he'll definitely have at least four different Supreme t-shirts on rotation. Oh, without a doubt. Without a doubt. And his skateboard you get to see, hopefully. Yeah. Boyd will skateboard onto the stage. Yeah. Promise. <laughs> Can you do kickflips, Boyd? Can you do ollies? Um, do you no. still you, do you still ride it? Only within the only with the confines of my own flight. Can you grind? <laughs> no. Yes. I mean, uh, <laughs> from one room to the other. The it's one big room, you know. My, it's one yeah, big yeah, room. Yeah. yeah. That's why. That's why I can do it. Yeah. So anyway, bit, it's, it's, it can be a bit dangerous on the parquet. What parquet? <laughs> one absolute insight into Boyd's yeah. life. Yeah. Yeah. Boyd alone in the flat, skateboarding around his parquet. Yeah. People living below, furious. Yeah. Exactly. It's <laughs> that noise. Right. Right. Enough about Boyd's skateboarding mm. habits. Let's talk about what we been watching this week i think boyd should go first well I, I i shall just to say that um the regulars that i've been uh keeping up with so if it's at westworld mm. penultimate episode was excellent 
and I'm absolutely f- fascinated to see what happens in the finale, which will air on the day this comes out, Monday. Um, and, and, but I think this series has been an absolute triumph. Yeah. And the, you remember last week, I was compl- I'm not complaining, I was pointing out a little bit how I'm never quite sure what we're supposed to make of the difference between human beings and the hosts, yeah. the, 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 the essentially the, the non-human um, technological version, which is the complete, kind of what the show is all about. Well, they actually addressed that issue in a scene in the penultimate episode, a really good scene where one of the characters, I won't spoil it, one of the characters kind of literally says, what are we? Who are, what are we, what what are we compared to the humans? Um, and it's fa- and it was fascinating. And they kind of tried to, and in a way, this whole season, season four, is it? It is four, four yeah. Is um, attempting to answer that question. Um, and it's really, but above and beyond anything else, it's just stunningly beautiful to look at this series. The way they incorporate real New York as it is at the moment with a kind of with kind of CGI enhanced kind of as it would be in centuries time is really is brilliantly done and just the way it's directed and all of that is fascinating so it's got the real it really captures the off-kilter oddness that it had in season one and that the original film in fact happened had whereby there's something quite queasy about the whole thing the way which I think it lost when it just became this kind of like complicated romp of last season <laughs> so yeah I'm really looking forward to the, the finale of that for all mankind the finale will have gone out on Friday, um, of of uh, when we when as we're recording this um, uh, tomorrow, if you like, God, that's a confusing way of putting it. But all, for all mankind, finale would have gone out by the time this podcast arrives right. on Monday. And I've kept it, uh, it, so I've been watching it live the last few episodes, and it's still fantastic and amazing. Okay, this mm-hmm. the the alternate history show about the space races. I'm Love sure it. you're aware. Yeah, live for it. Very you, a very you <laughs> program. Um, but it is phenomenal. And this season has been even better than previous seasons, and it's building to a fascinating. It's all about the Mars. Um, landing on Mars etc colonising Mars and so I'm very excited to see what happens in that finale Will they get their asses to Mars? Well they they, they do they oh. have, but it's more about yeah, spoiler. The spoiler yeah it's more about what happens after that that is, that is, that is fascinating the fallout from it all um, Better Call Saul I mean well Yes. Okay. Well, I, okay. So I'm, I not should, gonna, I'm, I'm not gonna have to jump it. in here. I'm gonna have to jump in here and say that I actually followed Boyd's screening advice pretty much to the letter as laid out yes. mm-hmm. on last week's show. I watched yes. three episodes the first day. I watched three episodes <laughs> the second day. I spent the entire weekend watching all of the final season of C. Yeah. Oh my god! And then I sprinkled appropriately a little bit of sand around the place and uh, and did Sandman though 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 I did not make it to the end of Sandman yet I have two episodes left to go just because C was quite a demanding mistress over the weekend but uh, so I'm all the way through but Better Call Saul yes so I am 100% up to date with Better Call Saul I will be watching the finale live on Tuesday morning and I am pretty psyched but you Boyd you Boyd I think hit the nail on the head which was that the season finished several episodes ago and this is just like an extended coda and it is and I'm obviously still very much enjoying it, but I like the gene stuff has never engaged me as much as mm. the soul stuff. Mm. So I feel a little bit like we're in Return of the King and the film is finished, but Peter Jackson <laughs> doesn't seem to have realized it's finished and it's still going on. Um, and while uh... I like what they're doing, I like, and I can't criticize it. And in fact, there is a particular performance on, a, on an airport shuttle bus, which is one of the greatest things I've seen. It's yeah. magnificent. Yeah. And I read a whole thing about how that was done. It was done in two takes. They used the second take, but apparently the first take was also brilliant. Um, 
and I and have Vince Gilligan's wife is sitting next to that. Oh, character. I didn't know that. Yeah, really? Yeah, yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, but there are so many things, and also something he said in that interview, which I won't repeat here because it could be considered a spoiler. About that episode, made me question what I'm expecting from the final episode. But what I think this has done very well is it's almost done the same trick that Breaking Bad did. It has shown you how this generally good guy has just turned into a generally bad guy, but in a much more subtle, almost insidious way than Walter White did. Uh, so yeah. his character journey is interesting. And actually, weirdly, ending with Gene is, from that point of view, the best way of doing it, because you've seen the completion of his arc. Uh, and it is, all the Gene stuff is very, very well done. But I, you know, I was at maximum investment when it was Lalo, well, it was the Salamancas, when it was all yeah. of that stuff. And I feel like since then, we've shifted down a few gears, and I maybe just feel a bit you know. Well, funnily enough, I, I think it shifted down a few gears up until the penultimate episode, and then it completely, I completely, I don't think that feels like a Coda episode at all. I think suddenly then you're snapped back into the absolute vital, partly from the scene you're talking about, mm. um, but also just it, 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 it intercuts between it does. periods. And, and you know, there's the other scene that we need to talk about, which we won't spoil, one of the great scenes yeah, uh, with two characters coming together. Um, there's the there's him, just him sitting, driving in the car, singing the Blondie song, The Tide is High, mm. um, which was one of the phenomenal, just a phenomenal moment of character action. So... And that's not a spoiler. So I actually think it's all coming together brilliantly, and I am invested in all of those different strands, um, particularly how, you know, one character's heading... I think it's all heading for an absolutely fascinating, oh, yeah. combustible climax, and you just don't know... I mean, I think it's fairly obvious that, you know, Saul's whatever is going to have to have some kind of horrendous come up, but it's just to what extent is the question is now, I think, mm. for me. But I think it's completely come round to after a code after a bit of code direction, it's now complete, vital, absolutely extraordinary, proper, best TV ever stuff. So I'm completely just cannot wait for that finale. Yeah, I think it's incredible stuff. Um, so there's that. So, but finally, James. Yes. Um, so you have well let me just get this clear you haven't finished The Sandman yet no I'm, I'm okay so one thing I will say about Sandman so I've now watched all the way up to I have finished episode 8 I've just got 9 and 10 to go mm. I will say the run for me of 4, 5 and 6 were just superlative television just incredible television so this is like uh, you've got beef about this right we, we may have slight beef about we this did, yeah, yeah we, we just, so I have finished it yeah. Is, is the is the is the irony? So there. yes, yes, you've seen yeah, more than I've I have seen at this the whole point. thing. Yeah, I mean, I by the time this goes out, I will have obviously watched and what it all. Do you think? As we Were record, you happy on, with the ending? Thursday, I haven't. So, well, it's not some. All I'd say ending, is, yeah. is what? Oh, it's not an ending, is it? No. So bear in mind, this is the first four hundred pages of a three thousand. Yeah, it's going to oh, carry gosh. on. Oh yeah, it's going to carry. I'm on. out. It's going to carry on. <laughs> yeah. Um, so but yeah, people are like oh, you know, you must you must apologise to James for daring to criticise it. Blah blah blah. I'd say, so I'd say it was interesting and compelling enough for me to carry on and finish it. Yeah, you know, in fairly in fairly quick time. So I might give it credit for that. That you know, it is it is, you know, the storyline. It it comes together more as a thing than I think the first couple of episodes. I think I think they made a real mistake. And I was really interested. I was thinking as I was watching it, I was thinking they what they should really have done is start roughly where episode three starts, where Jenna Coleman comes in, because the, the episode three has got a really powerful slash funny slash engaging mm. thing right at the beginning of it. And then Sandman comes in for a bit of exposition, which is completely his job. Um, <laughs> and you're like, okay. But in, they made a real mistake, I think, starting with starting episode one where they started it. Because it's just not... You, it's, episode one starts with the main character encased in a glass thing for 100 years and doesn't say anything. Is he the... So I watched a little yeah. bit of this and then yeah. I, I did switch off. Yeah. Um, 
Is he the the guy who talks very yes, slowly? Yes, yeah. So yeah. in a stage whisper. Yeah. Something Neil Gaiman has said. I am dream. It is very okay. irritating. <laughs> okay. I love the way he talks. But bear in mind, so the <laughs> idea from that is, and Gaiman has said, it's like he has lived so long that he has had every thought it's possible to have. So everything he says is incredibly deliberate. It's very specific because everything yeah. has been considered for like millennia. Yeah, then someone comes in and goes, says to Neil Gaiman, by the way, you might want to have a more engaging central character. Um, you have to compromise a little bit because not everyone knows who's read that bit and was wondering why this kind of quite dull <laughs> blank in the middle of the, the centre of this story is just not saying anything interesting. People are checking their TV, seeing if it's in slow-mo. Yeah. I, you know, with all due respect to Tom Sturridge, it's not his fault. I, get, you, you, I mean, that's an interesting explanation of it, but he's just a massive blank at the centre of this whole thing. <laughs> <laughs> Every other character is more interesting than him. Li- literally. Which is quite so, something for yeah. the central character to be the it least interesting. It is quite something, so, yeah. So it's the question I would ask you, Boyd, like, yeah. what did you think of the Death Slash Hob episode? The Death Slash Hob episode was really interesting. And that the, the, the actress who played Death is brilliant. Yeah. Absolutely brilliant. Um, who is Kirby Hal Baptiste. And that was an interesting episode. Quite kind of, um, not moving, kind of, yeah, moving and um, interesting. And an interesting, I mean, it doesn't make any sense because we're led to believe that she it goes every single death in the world. Well, she said she doesn't do all of them, personally. Does she? Oh, but also okay. bear in mind that they're endless, so I don't think they experience time in the same way. So I imagine she can do many, many things simultaneously okay. and be in many, many places. Okay, right. But, uh, but yeah, she doesn't do them all. It's just, uh, I thought she, she kind of said she did. Uh, no, I think the line where she uh, says she only does special ones herself. Oh, she only does, okay, yeah. fine. I'll, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll let that go. But yeah, that was an interesting episode. The episode that you banged on about last week, the, the diner episode. The diner episode. The greatest episode in the history well, of no, TV no, ever. I wasn't saying that. I, was, I had concerns because obviously in the comic, which is a horror comic, which hopefully you now see. Yeah. Uh, like, like, it's, not scary. it's quite upsetting in the comics. It's upsetting. Mm. Oh, yeah. It's definitely it's not scary, but it's horrific. It's not scary. Mm. It's horrific and upsetting. I agree with those words. It also is very juvenile. It's like, <laughs> you know, and undated as well. I feel uh, the thing it really felt was dated because you're supposed to be unbelievable. Intentionally, though. No, no, no. Not intentionally. So uh, this it was is, written in the 80s. Because it was written understand. in the 80s. So this whole thing, people are obsessed with this diner episode. Okay? And I'm not going to spoil it, but it's a, a, like a whole scenario. It's all about, you know, how people lie in hmm. life, you know, and everyone's lying. And what would happen if suddenly you had to force to tell the truth? Well, I mean, that idea's been done to death a million times since 1986 when this was written. I'm sure in 1986 it probably felt quite original and amazing. But now, and, and the th- way that this plays out in this special episode is that, you know, people do things that they wouldn't do. And suddenly they're all doing these tawdry, horrible, nasty, disgusting things. But just the things they're doing and the revelatory, you know, especially, oh my God, mind-blowing revelations about them, it just feels, as I say, dated and just kind of like, yeah. you know. So I was like, <laughs> I know where this is going because you flagged that it was this remarkable one-off thing. I was like, it just was... I just didn't think it was that great. So genuinely didn't think it was. I thought it was, and I thought the word it it, it was like nasty, and the it nastiness was, was there. Was but nasty. to what purpose? Like, and you know what? I then found later on. Then, by the way, the last four or five, a whole another story kicks in, right? About serial killers and all this, all that all stuff, abuse, stuff. Yeah. child abuse. Quite again, really mm. grim stuff. Yeah, it's horrendous. Some of it's horrendous, genuinely horrendous. Yeah. But not in a, I didn't feel in a particularly rewarding way. And and there's some unbelievable tonal bullshit. Um, like it goes, trying to be funny. Again, I'm not going to, trying to be funny about certain characters and what they do in the last few episodes. And then you're supposed to really care about this poor kid in another scenario. It's like you're not, you're not dealing with the, the the tones of these two things very well at all. And what, and I, I can't explain what I mean by what I'm about to say because it would be a spoiler. But there's one. There's like a character. There's a character who's going through a horrendous time, mm. and totally. And the people who are perpetrating this horrendous stuff on him 
what happens to them, is all I'd say. And I just thought they completely fluffed that because you're expecting a big payoff and you're not given it. And it was a massive, disastrous fluff Do you of know it. what? I 100% agree with you on oh, that. Good. I had exactly the same thought because I think there is an element of catharsis there that you, as the viewer, like want to the point where you almost oh, need. 100%. And yes, it's sadistic and schadenfreude, but you want it. And I can't remember if that happens on screen or off screen in the comic. I looked it up and it happens off screen in the comic. So and this is the, my point. Yeah. You, you've got, you know, he's done the classic trick of being too faithful to yeah. his own source material and you have to stand back from it. And I think that's the big, that is the big flaw in the whole series for me. There are great moments, there are some really interesting moments. Great is a bit much. I don't think it's, I mean, people are calling it a masterpiece is bullshit. It's like, it's, it's perfectly good. It's fine. As a viewer then, you felt cheated. I felt massively cheated. By and that this scene, yeah. By that scene. Yeah. But that was, that was completely kind of, you know, typical of some mis various mistakes. The whole, the white, there's scenes where, you know, basically Dream is walking along, express, ex just literally doing exposition for about five minutes, you know, to another character. And it's so clunky. I couldn't believe it. So, I, I was profound, I was interested in it. I was much more interested in it. So I'll give you this. I was much more interested in it than I thought I was when I watched episodes one and two. And by the time episode three came along, which which got me into it, I stopped worrying about the whole all the stuff I was worried about. What is what is this character? Who is he? Because that's kind of what it is about, and I understand that. And I can see why it's such a hugely popular thing, and it's got very interesting ideas in it. I just I just don't think it's as great anywhere near as great as James thinks it is <laughs> or as a lot clearly of his acolytes on Twitter do as well and I particularly and there was a Rolling Stone review of it that completely summed up what I felt which I which I posted a link to earlier in the thing so I think generally it's not I think in, in the wider world if you know it's not going to be like a crossover phenomenon where people think oh you know I'm going to have to watch that show because it's amazing it's going to win loads of awards it's not that show that is not what it's going to it's going to be really beloved of fans of Neil Gaiman and the original and a, a lot of other people will probably enjoy it quite enjoy it as well but it's no, it's not going to be a, an absolute phenomenon. So it's just not. Boy, they're not a Sandman convert, but no, but you know. but, but I do admit it's definitely better than I than I thought it was after two episodes. And you see what I mean? Like you do need to get a few yeah. into it. Yeah, completely. Yeah, I still think like it, it. Yeah, I still the fundamental flaw is that if you don't know the world and you're not immersed in it, then it's not doing what it should be doing to get you into it near the beginning. But anyway. Masterpiece it is. Right. <laughs> right. Kay, what have you been watching? Terrified as I am to ask that question. Listen, well, <laughs> you should be terrified. What do you mean? I, well, I was loath to bring it up, but now that you said that, I have been deep diving into binging breeders. Oh. Yes, I have, James. What I, are you doing? No, I have. And so, one, <sighs> two, and three. Um, I haven't finished three, actually, but I just love it. It's so good, so well written. Brilliant performances. Um, it's a dagger to his heart. I know. I found season two difficult to watch, obviously, because we're going in-depth into Paul's rage, and that's obviously brings up a lot of emotions, and it's tough to watch. But season three, I loved how it was more from Ali's perspective. So in terms of her company going potentially bust, um, her deteriorating relationship with her daughter, mm. and the fact that it covers also the fact that she's going through early um, menopause, which, I mean, props, you know, to them for covering that I think that's really good so yeah I, I've been really literally I've been devouring it and for me the absolute highlight has to be Paul's mum Jackie yes she is so yes. good she's played by um, I wrote it down Joanna Bacon and she's just excellent as be uh, being sort of like you know usually dippy but occasionally she comes out with these really profound poignant um, bits of advice to Paul and I think she's just fantastic and in my mind, I think she is comparable to Pamela 
and Gavin and Stacey, you know that brilliant comedy mum who is just like... You just Alison lo- Stedman. Yeah, yeah, Alison Stedman, yeah, Pamela, yeah. Um, and she is just, yeah, she's fantastic. I love every... And there's a scene in particular, I think it's se- season three, I don't know which episode, maybe five or six, where they're sitting around the table and they're talking about periods. <laughs> and um, she starts discussing the fact that she's got off... She had a fear growing up of using tampons because she's worried that... I know, I can see all the colour drain out of James' face. <laughs> what um, colour? <laughs> I'm fine, I'm always as pale. <laughs> <laughs> because uh, she, she was worried that eventually she might just cough it up. And I just like, honestly, this, this whole scene... With Jackie, and then the uh, her husband, his reaction, and he just like he looks as queasy as you do, and it was just hilarious. It was so so funny. I just think she's brilliant. So yeah, yeah, Jackie is the funniest character on TV. She's so good. Um, so yeah, James, how do you feel about that? I believe you. I like like when we I'm, I'm I I think I think if Beth were here she'd be sort of like gesticulating wildly going no no time out stop stop we're not doing this again so all I will simply say is when I when I, we watched season three of Breeders I conceded that it was not the show I maybe thought it was and it was a better show. I actually had this conversation with someone last night about the same thing who had a, not the same reaction I did to the first one, but I think only watched the first episode or two and had a, a, a milder but similar reaction that I did do it. And as I pointed out, I was like, well, actually, you know, as it goes on, I think it's actually much more complex than that. It's not what I thought it was at all, but it's, you know, you, you have to you have to. This get is a that. monumental moment. You've both admitted that you've been mistaken about programmes you've watched. Oh, come now. Boyd was mealy-mouthed. <laughs> he was like, well, it's still a bit yeah. shit. I quite like one episode, but yeah. actually it's really disappointing yeah. and no one's going to watch it. Maybe mouth. <laughs> Double down, some would say. Even. Yeah, it was yeah. the opposite of a reverse ferret. It's a full steam ahead ferret is what it was. This ferret is not for turning. Um, but what, funnily enough, you reminded me, what, midway through, when you, you suddenly talk bring up Breeders again, of course, I finished the whole of season three and Breeders ages ago and of course did not mention it on this podcast for fear of ever wanting to bring up the whole fucking thing ever again. This is a safe space. Bring up Not so much annoying James, which I'm fine with, but Beth particularly. Like, no, it would be like, like Beth's PTSD would yeah, get triggered. Yeah. Beth, two dads, you know, kind of going at it. It was, Daddy was, and Daddy was are terrifying. It was terrifying, yeah. So, yeah, I, I never brought up the fact that of course I finished series, the whole of the series and it was brilliant. Roll on series four. <laughs> I can't wait. So it's definitely, has that been... Oh, it's been yeah, recommissioned. Yeah, oh, officially yes. recommissioned. It has been recommissioned. Absolutely. It's so good. So in yeah. a year's time, we can have another review of the new series. Oh, God. Oh, God. I'll, the I'll be off that week. We'll just time it so I'll just take a week <laughs> off and Jake, I'll leave you, you guys to, to do it. Do you love Jackie? Uh, at I, least. Jackie, I say, I, in my head, can't, Necessarily, yeah, well, yeah. So it's Dave, Daisy Haggard, isn't it? Yeah. So no, no, no. no, no, no. Paul's mum. Paul's mum. Paul's mum. Paul's mum. I can't picture Paul's oh, mum. Yeah, yeah. Oh, she's, she's fab. Yeah. She's so good. She's she kind of a... talks like that. Yeah. She's very. Uh, I don't remember Paul's yeah. mum. Oh, okay. Oh, oh, right. Sorry. Okay, fine. Wasn't well, she's even, fantastic. I mean, wasn't paying attention. That says a lot. <laughs> I mean, it's fair. Yeah. This hasn't stuck in my mind. Used to traumatize rocking in the corner. Absolutely traumatized. Yeah. It was a bit like that. Yeah. Anyway, so yeah. I felt the thing. The thing would be as I felt is I felt like you know they were a bit too slavish to the source material. I think people already. Familiar <laughs> with it will maybe really like it, but I just think for newcomers, there's nothing there, and it doesn't really achieve what it sets out to do. So. Very good. Oh, you uh, guys. Um, <laughs> anyway, apart from that, the other thing I've been watching, which I probably can't go into detail because it's most likely um, embargoed, is Welcome to Wrexham on Discovery. Uh, Dis- Discovery? No, Discovery. It's not even yes. on Discovery. It's on. Uh, it's on Disney Plus. It is, yes. Okay, Disney Plus, mm. um, which follows Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhenney's bid to buy Wrexham mm. FC. Um, I'm one of those people who, when I found out this was happening, that he's buying it, instantly became more interested in Wrexham FC and following the <laughs> following their progress. But yeah, it's really fascinating, and I'm sure at some point you'll be reviewing it on the pod. I doubt it. What? Because it's. it's uh, it's 
it's it's a factual show about football. Even though it stars two Hollywood Hollywood stars, James isn't going to allow us to review a show. I, guys, that I is think basically to... yeah, and it's celebration of a lower league football club. I mean, no way is he going to, we're going to review. Not be funny. But, it's league has nothing to do with this. Yeah, exactly. Well, that's true. It's yeah. like a dictatorship. That's just a it is, of course, it's, of course it is. Yeah, but all I'd say is it was also embargoed. So yeah, we can't. Yeah, yeah. can I just say I'm being trolled by my watch? So so as we were discussing there, breeders, my watch came up with you appear to be doing an outdoor run. <laughs> it's just like, it's like wow, passive aggressive wow. much. No, that's, I'm just getting animated. <laughs> that's the sweat you've worked yeah. out. When, as soon as Kay said yeah. the word breeders, you're just going to break out. Going, and the watch is going, whoa, we appear to be sprinting somewhere. <laughs> no, no, we're just talking about breeders. You should do a trigger warning now every time we mention the word. Yeah, yeah in that's any it. Context, I'm having yeah. flashbacks. Well, I, no, I'm, I'm going to stop talking about it now, but it is fantastic. <laughs> just um, to reason. Just to really go back to it. Uh, yeah, and that's why I've been watching. I can't wait to watch the, the Rex and Brown. And of course, you just reminded me of the one program I haven't mentioned, which was Arsenal All or Nothing. Mm. The continuing adventures of Arsenal on Prime Video. <laughs> I've watched episodes four, five, and six, and they are fucking brilliant, I have to say. There we are. Ooh. Just, just. Effing and Jeff. The way it deals, the way it deals with the departure of Aubameyang from Arsenal is quite fascinating, and they really go there and address the whole story. You'll be pleased to James know. James and I James. look like our batteries are just powered down. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah particularly. Yeah, yeah. My watch is going. You appear to be sleeping. Yeah, you appear oh. to be dead. <laughs> you appear to have died. Yeah. Um, there are two things I want to mention before we end this segment, which has been going on for I can only assume at least two hours at this point. And one is there was a Sandman thing I forgot to mention, and that's that I got uh, a lot of uh, tweets about this. People were really. Th- thrown by the aspect ratio. Yes, yes. So the aspect ratio is 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 neither fish nor fowl. Like, it's an odd thing where it's it's slightly skewed. So you're like, oh, something's not right. And it's a bit off. And things that are supposed to be round are not quite round. And everything seems a lit like, you know, you remember the old pan and scan where everyone would appear like really squished up and, and tall. Uh, it feels a bit like that. And everyone's like, oh, Netflix have fucked up the aspect ratio. And I was like, I'm not sure they have. I'm pretty sure this is a, an odd but deliberate choice. Mm-hmm. And someone from Netflix, a spokesman, there were news stories out there, a spokesman gave a very elliptical answer about how we felt that watching it was like being in a dream. It's like, well, does that mean it's deliberate or you fucked up? I'm not sure. But I'm pretty sure it's a deliberate choice. And actually, if you if you read the comic strip, in a lot of the panels, Dream is seen kind of almost stretched vertically. Like his face is very, very sort of like acutely tall and thin. He looks like um, Bert from Bert and Ernie, and uh, which I'm sure is what it was based on. So I'm assuming that it was that a deliberate would be more choice. Interesting. <laughs> yeah, I think it is a deliberate choice. I noticed that as well. What's, what it is weird about it is it's it's in like a scope aspect ratio, yeah, two point three nine to one. But within that aspect ratio, it's like yeah, it's like they've elongated certain bits of it visually. So it's almost like a weird combination of a, a scope-looking thing to make it look more cinematic. And yet, with some of the flaws you get when you mess around with yeah. aspect ratio. So, it's, yeah. But it clearly is deliberate. I, I thought that's the scene where he's in, he's in hell and he's talking to... Uh, Gwendolyn Christie. Gwendolyn Christie, who I wish there was more of. She was great, <laughs> as a lot of people pointed out again on Twitter. That overlooking the all the the mass writhing masses in in hell, what that summed up the visual look of it at its best because mm. that was a bit distorted and weird that whole scene, but it worked. I thought quite interestingly. But yeah, I think I think it's obvious. I liked that sequence a lot more than I liked it in the comic. It's oh, okay. all a bit that funny, funny in the comics where yeah. he's not dueling Satan, he's actually dueling the demon. And it's oh. almost like they're at a stand-up gig with microphones. It's like they're doing like like improv comedy. And it's like, oh, this is a bit twee and I don't like it. Whereas I actually like the much more serious yeah. treatment that they Yeah, I thought that was one of the best scenes. Yeah, yeah. it was good. Cool. Um, um, you know, talking of aspect ratios, Westworld switches aspect ratios very good, very well. It uses the scope and it switches mm. to, to normal and, that, and that's fascinating. 
Yeah. Do love a bit of aspirin. I love a, I love a multi multi aspirin. Um, the other thing I was going to mention is last week I asked we did and I, I texted this to you at seven o'clock on Saturday morning and got a stroppy message from Beth about <laughs> texting at seven o'clock on a Saturday morning. I mean, fair enough. But my point was, at no point when we're talking about what we've been watching, did you mention the final episode of Neighbours? And I was no. like. I know this isn't technically for this show. We don't really cover that stuff. But cultural I felt moment. It's a cultural moment. Why didn't we mention Neighbours? I didn't mention it because I was in New York when it happened and I didn't get to see it. That's why. Oh, it's have you seen it now? No. <laughs> okay, you must have seen it. I've yet to catch up. Oh, my oh God. wow. I know. This That's is extraordinary. I know. I, know, I, I mean, know. you know I haven't watched it. So, right, yeah. well, that'll be why then. Yeah it, was, it, yeah, it was a shame. I would have watched it if I'd have been in the country. There you go. Exclusive yeah. from Boyd Hilton. He would have yeah. watched it if he'd been in the yeah. country. Uh, fine. Let's move on now to this week's list of questions. Now, we have two, and I'm not entirely sure at this stage which one we're doing. We have the one from last week. The last week one I quite like, so it doesn't require any preparation. Yeah. The one from this week does require preparation, which I've not done. So Do like, This week also will go on for a long time. I think yeah, let's, let's do the, let's like the every, We're supposed to pick out an yeah, example yeah, yeah. of every streaming service. Okay, fine. Let's... <laughs> With, we'll deal with that one. We'll deal with that one another time. Let's yeah. deal with the one that we were going to do last week. And this one comes from Kat. And Kat says, you often talk about how TV shows need to grab the audience immediately and that slow burn shows are a thing of the past. Given that some of the greatest TV shows are slow burn and often don't get going until the second or third series, do you think that we are dumbing down television and not giving stories space to breathe and develop in place of visual spectacle? That's a great question. Mm. It's a great question. Yeah. I would say no, because um, it's funny enough, we've got a lot of shows that we're looking at this week. I mean, apart from um, my, my issues with The Slam Man, and I think it should have started roughly where episode three starts <laughs> and not one and two, being an example. But the, actually, the thing about the streaming wars and the streaming services is if you if you ignore the fact for a minute that at one point it felt like Netflix's um, business model was to commission a show for two seasons and then drop it, yeah. a la the OA, of course, then... The fact that it is commissioning shows that it that its USP is it puts out all in one go means that in theory you don't you're not worrying too much about whether or not you're grabbed by that first episode because well that's if it gets good in the first season yeah but I do think I do think that's a valid point because like for me you know with the Sandman for example it's actually a good example of it in a way because I didn't have to carry on watching it just so that I could have another argument and double down <laughs> on my original opinion I genuinely I genuinely was interested enough to carry on watching it to kind of see where it went after what I felt was the first two disappointing episodes so I think having something all there available to binge in one go actually should in theory mean creatively you're allowed you'll 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 get more leeway for me, I mean, that is one of the, for me, it is a big advantage of the whole thing. Whereas if everything is shown in that weekly way, then the pressure for it to be a hit, you know, that first episode to really hit home. I mean, interestingly, it, for HBO, I know HBO, for example, is much more, has to make sure much more that those first episodes hit home, particularly if it's huge shows. And famously, mm. I mean, one of the, the first spin-off of, of Game of Thrones they did, the one that Jane Goldman worked on, they made a pilot for it and they scrapped it. Yeah. So they weren't happy with it. Which that's, that's just doesn't happen in a Netflix show, as far as I'm aware. You just, they just, they, they, you know, they, they do what they need to do, they give them notes, they create the show and they, and they just do it. And if it doesn't work in the end, they just scrap it. Whereas HBO, and so Game of Thrones, they redid the first 
um, they refilmed the first episode, the episode mm-hmm. the pilot. So it's a really interesting question. But I actually, I, I still think there are shows out there that manage to be quite challenging. And in fact, one of the ones we're reviewing, Marriage, slight spoiler alert, is that is by no means a show that's going to like hit you, you know, with its <laughs> speedy storytelling in the first episode. It really takes time to get going. We'll get to it later in detail. So my answer to the question is, I don't think, I don't think we are. I, I think we're actually given probably more leeway these days than ever, creators are, for getting stuff into it, for having a slow burn type of show. I think it's less a commissioning thing and I think it's more a... Uh, it's demands on your time thing. So it used to be the case where when there were only maybe, and let's be honest, one or two good shows on television. Remember those days? Or like where, like, in a week, so and I mean like, at all. Like, oh, there's a couple of good things. There's a good thing on Wednesday and a good thing on Thursday and the rest of the week we're going to go outside and play in the sunshine. But <laughs> but when that was again, you'd be like, oh yeah, this might get good in two or three years. I can stick it out. What the fuck else am I going to do? That's fine. I think the problem now is because there are, as we demonstrate on this show, a bunch of new great shows dropping every week. If a show doesn't grab you by the jaffers straight off, you've potentially going to lose your audience. And if you lose your audience, because you're yeah, There's so many options, but also your attention spans much shorter. So mm. like, you know, fast, fast food, fast TV, I think. Like, you know, you want it to instantly hook you. And I'm one of those people, I don't give stuff enough time sometimes, so I instantly dismiss it. But I think it's fine for stuff to bed in over a few episodes, like three or four episodes. I'm, I'm tolerant, <laughs> tolerant of that. But I think a whole series for something to really take that long to get going I'm just not watching the second season because I think oh yeah there is yeah. an element of laziness about that as well you should work hard the you know creators should work harder to draw the audience in but then do we think like so Vince Gilliam's method of storytelling is almost the exception that proves the rule to an extent where it's just the way he tells stories they're magnificent stories but they do take a long time to build momentum like, I'm not going to say that Better Call Saul season one is bad it's not at all but it didn't grab me mm. and I didn't really get grabbed until season three I was appreciating its majesty mm. but it's I feel slow. like it's a luxury people don't have these days because if it is slow and it's not getting the audience, they're not going to get recommissioned. So yeah, but I think but, but, but I think they are though. That's fun. The funny really? thing. Is, yeah, I think I think I think there's I think there are a lot of examples. I think yeah, I mean, Better Call Saul is an example where I think that's the same for most people. If it were on, I think I don't think it went from being a show that was a pretty reasonably interesting prequel to um, one of the best shows ever made into in the end one, another one of the best shows ever made so that was a fairly slow process and um, you know it's like a connected to another show that's very incredibly oh, yeah. popular it's definitely so. easy yeah you get you have much more leeway at, at 100% mm. if you're if you are a sequel prequel to an existing classic um bit of intellectual property yeah mm. definitely but i still th- i still think in the streaming world generally creators are given more, creators are given more leeway to, to to be challenging and to have slow burn type of storytelling um, just because in the nature of you know most most of these shows I mean I'm not saying it's a good thing they're all like 10 episodes long but they definitely are, mo- all these shows are given more room to breathe inherently because they're they're more longer deep dive artistically it's better oh, right? t- artistically it's better yeah and, I, and I'm not sure if, if people's attention spans are short I think I think it's the difference between having loads of stuff avail- too much stuff on everyone's watch list to watch and not enough time to, to watch it and having a short attention span I think they're two different things yeah yeah they are so yeah. I'm not sure I'm not sure I, th- I, I think, think people do have short attention span I think but there's more sorry guys I wasn't listening what was that <laughs> yeah well I mean he's definitely got short attention span he's <laughs> like a goldfish yeah but I think generally the whole I, I, you know the whole world the whole, the whole trend is towards longer you know seasons longer series more seasons more in-depth storytelling than you know than, than short form quick 
Perhaps. We should look at the drop-off rates of this podcast. (laughs) Yeah, and the longer it gets. That's another issue. By the way, this is going so far, this is going to be a long episode, so we'll probably lose people for this. But I would say that in a world where Twin Peaks The Return exists, nothing seems slow. So (laughs) that's what I'm going to leave you with. (laughs) Wow. The masterpiece that was Twin Peaks The Return. (laughs) Yeah. Absolutely. Give me a hundred million hours of the Sandman over that bollocks any day of the week. And vice versa. <laughs> Move on, guys. Right, right, right. We've vaguely answered the question. If you would like your question answered on the Pilot TV podcast, then buy a fucking ticket to the live <laughs> show and ask it in person when you can yell it at us on the stage. You can't say fairer than that. <laughs> Time now for this week's guest, and this is a man who should need no introduction, not least of all because he's connected to all of us in one way or another. Mr. Kevin Bacon has been in, well, everything, but he's recently back as corrupt fed Jackie Raw in Paramount Plus's City on a Hill, and he stopped by the show, and he stopped by the show to talk all about that and other things with a modern woman. We are delighted to be joined on the Pilot TV podcast by the star of City on a Hill, Mr. Kevin Bacon. How are you, sir? I'm well, thank you. How are you? I'm good. I'm good. All the better for uh, having watched your show. I've seen the first episode of season three. Really, really enjoyed it. And it's interesting, your character, Jackie Raw, he started out the first season as this corrupt cop. At the start of this season, he's no longer a cop. He's lost all his privilege. He's lost all his power. How would you describe his state of mind as we begin this season? Well, you know, there's two points of view. Jackie uh, really got fired from the FBI, but in his mind, he retired. Um, I think that he's a little bit of a man without a purpose. You know, he's picking up some odd jobs in a bar where we see him uh, with DeCourcy for the first time. And he's doing a lot of sitting on the couch and watching cartoons. <laughs> and uh, his wife, Jenny, uh, really wants him to get out of the house. She never really liked him being in the FBI in the first place, but it, that was better than him sitting around all day, not doing anything and not making any money. So he's running out of money. Um, and, uh, you know, he, he doesn't have much of a purpose. I would not have taken Jackie Raw for a cartoon guy. Uh, was, was that in the script or was that a suggestion from you? That wasn't a suggestion from me. No, you know, I think that one of the great things about the writers is that they always find something new and interesting about Jackie. Um, and you know, if, if I felt that, um, something was really not in line with it, you know, I do know the character pretty well, but you know, Jackie is a surprising person, even in the fact that, you know, from the first season, his, his ability to, um, you know, kind of quote pieces of pretty obscure literature and, and legal things and, you know, all kinds of stuff, sports politics, you know, he, he has one of these minds that is uh, very, very surprising a lot of times. Yeah, no, you're absolutely right. Um, I think in an interview that you described him as a man of the street, but also incredibly well-read, because as you say, he's pulling these quotes out of nowhere. Do you have a particularly yeah. uh, favorite quote? And has there been anything uh, Jackie's been knowledgeable about that's really surprised you over the time that you've been playing it? Uh, you know, there was a scene in the, uh, and I, it's, it's kind of on my mind now because of the death of Bill Russell, who was a, you know, great, uh, basketball country legend. Yeah. And, and, uh, Jackie has a, has a whole speech. I think it was in season two to DeCourcy about, uh, the story of, of Bill Russell and, um, and the kind of racism that he faced, uh, mm-hmm. being in the city of Boston and, and. And uh, I can't remember what his point was, really, <laughs> Jackie's point. Sometimes <laughs> it's really hard to figure out what his actual point is. But it was a story that he uh, related in a lot of detail to um, to DeCourcy. And it just 
was in my in my mind because of the passing of Bill. Yeah, no, he he's a legend on and off the court. Uh, he'll definitely be sorely missed. Um, one of the really interesting things about this show is that each season you move from one neighborhood of Boston to another. And from the yeah. first episode, I gather that much of season three will be taking place in Beacon Hill. How does that True. inform Jackie's character and his art this season? Yeah, well, uh, Jackie, um, you know, he's done well at the FBI, but he certainly wasn't raised with any kind of um, money. And uh, so to step into this world of, you know, extreme wealth, uh, the, 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 the character even though he's an ex FBI agent, he's also a very, his, his family is a very wealthy family, sort of an old, you know, um, Brahmin kind of first, you know, uh, uh, pilgrims, you know what I mean? Like right. descendant pilgrims. It's not, it's not really a world that Jackie is, is used to work, uh, walking in. And so he's, he's a, um, he's a fish out of water this season, you know? Um, I think he looks around that house and sees that uh, that kind of wealth. And, you know, he even says it at one point later on. He says, you know, sure, I, I'd like to have this for my wife. You know, I'd like to give her the, I'd like to, you know, the, he hands him a, 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 the keys to a nice um, BMW. And and he's kind of like, damn, this, this, is, this is pretty cool. I, I could do with this. But what that really sets up is a, is a, a, a real kind of moral dilemma once he sees what's going on in that house. Um, is he going to do the right thing and and call uh, this Sinclair character out on on the on what he's doing to these young women? I mean, I imagine that part of the fun of playing a character like Jackie is the tease that he could ever be better than he is, and the more dilemma that you just spoke of is a prime example of that. Have you had conversations with the writers and showrunners about what the sort of long game is here and whether a redemptive arc would be appropriate for this character, or do you feel that that's not in the in the cards? just from how you've been playing him so far? Well, I think that, you know, I, I, I don't know. I think that a full redemption is maybe something that uh, comes from uh, um, it, from movies. You know, I think that in, in life, it's little more sort of like little steps and mm. new things to learn and a new understanding. I think if Jackie ever becomes a fully you know, has a full come to Jesus kind of moral realization. I think the show's over basically, <laughs> yeah. you know what I mean? Or it's over for me because that then there's nothing really left to play. I mean, I, well, I'm going to become a priest or something. I, I don't know, you know. <laughs> I watched that. I mean, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, so, so I think that um, it's, I think that one of the things that, you know, you can look at and is interesting to explore is when you are an old guy like me, Am I at a point in my life where I have completely decided all things about all things? Or am I somebody who is open to adjusting their way of thinking? For instance, I think that he learned stuff from DeCourcy about the world, about, um, you know, about race, about morality, about doing the right thing, about, you know, he, he, he pretends that that he's only going to use the course here, that he's just hanging out with it. But he's learning from him all the time. And uh, I, I do think that Jackie, in his own way, he is hungry to learn. So I think it's more just a question of baby steps in terms of, you know, him uh, finding any kind of a moral compass. Uh, you directed an episode of season two. Were you eager to jump behind the camera again for this season? 
Uh, I didn't get behind the camera this season, um, partly because we were uh, trimmed down with 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 COVID, and also uh, so we we just did the eight episodes. But the the other the other issue was that um, all of our directors did two episode blocks. It was a, it was a way of kind of um, getting through the kind of COVID of it all, and a two episode block for me to direct would take so much prep that I was working right up until the time when it's a, it's a long story. Anyway, I didn't get a chance to do it this, this season. Yeah. I mean, I would do it again. I, I really only want, I'm really only interested in, in, in directing uh, the very first one of this season. The reason is because I, as a, as a director, I feel really strongly that you have to prep, you have to go to locations, you have to talk to your DP, you have to have, especially if you're acting at the same time. So, so, uh, the only time that I can really do that is if it's the very first episode. Otherwise, I'm in the middle of shooting, you know, one episode. Um, but I enjoyed directing the show. Um, you know, I think we've got great actors and and uh, and and a cool look, and our crew was fantastic. And uh, you know, I I love we we shoot in New York. I love New York, and uh, you know, so it was it was great to direct last season um you mentioned the Corsi Cox earlier Aldous Hodge's character uh many of the scenes take place in the courtroom and I I'm a sucker for that stuff and that sure. brought to mind actually one of my favorite movies A Few Good Men which you starred in do the scenes in the courtroom ever bring back memories of, of shooting that film for you and have you had conversations with Aldous about your work on that film in particular yeah I took Aldous aside and I said okay let me tell you how to act in a courtroom <laughs> <No>. <laughs> No, he's fantastic in that in that courtroom stuff. I, I mean, he's always great. But I, I I thought when I when I went in and saw you know in his um in I guess it's probably the final episode he has a, a great great courtroom scene that he just knocks out of the park. Um, yeah, I mean if, I do think about a few good men. What's interesting about courtroom is that uh, it's just inherently dramatic. It just works all the time. You know, that's why something like A Few Good Men or, uh, you know, Kill a Mockingbird or or even, you know, Law and Order season after season. It's because there's just something inherently dramatic about what goes on in a courtroom. A lot of times it's people's, you know, life and death situations that are on the line. And and uh, uh, but I, I like courtroom courtroom stuff, too. I, and I and I think it's I think it's just that you you see you see the drama. um unfolding in that moment you know when the when the when the jury reads the verdict what you should do is take all the society and just say look here's what you say you tell them this <laughs> these are the facts of the case and they are undisputed you tell them that it's all going to be good. That's, that's that's what you should say <laughs> i think he would look at me like i have no idea what you're talking about <laughs> <laughs> i love that line um <laughs> Is there a character that you played on film that you'd love to give the TV treatment to so you have more time to really delve into they on and add theirs to the story, like a Captain Jack Ross, for instance? Uh, not so much Jack Ross, but, you know, I, I, the one thing that I was involved with was I did a movie, uh, and at the time it had been 25 years since the movie came out, called Tremors. And it was not a hit um, in the movie theater, but it was a huge hit on video and spawned a whole bunch of sequels that I wasn't in. And uh, Blumhouse and I developed a series for it uh, a few years ago. And that, to me, was would have been an interesting series. But it, it didn't get picked up. But um, I found that, you know, I wanted to explore what had happened to that guy in the course of 25 years. I, other than that, 
I don't know that there's characters that I, I was talking to, to somebody the other day about, uh, I did a movie 40 years ago called Diner and, and someone was saying, well, you should revisit that with, you know, with the guys now. And I, I don't know. I'm not sure. I mean, listen, never say never, but, uh, it's, what's funny now is that there I'm, I've, I've been around long enough that my movies are being remade, not with me, but they, they remade Footloose. They, remake flatliners and they're just about to remake which one? Oh, the river wild uh which is a movie that i did with meryl streep years ago and uh that's kind of like you kind of go oh wow is it now become like a period piece <laughs> <laughs> i'm still here. <laughs> still here well one character that you may yet get to play again who knows is sebastian straw given the whole multiversal nature of the mcu right now I was thinking about right. X-Men First Class the other day because it's still one of the very best X-Men movies for me. And you have one of the better death scenes in the genre uh, with that big sort of scene with Magneto. Do you have any particular memories of filming that one? Well, yeah. I mean, you know, working with 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 Mike was great. With You know, Fassbender, you know, he's such a good actor. And, and uh, I mean, what I remember is that I had up until that point, I've had experience with green screen, but it, but it hasn't been like my world, like I don't go with every movie, you know, uh, you know, screen, screen, green, screen, screen, screen. And it does have its challenges. I mean, we're professional pretenders, right? So we're always trying to make, make something, create something that's not there and try to make it real. But uh, when it comes to acting in a place and, and, and we were, Michael and I were just kind of surrounded by green all day, sort of doing that face off scene and that, that definitely, definitely had its challenges. Final question before I let you go. Um, as someone who loves a good quiz show, I was excited to read that you're going to be hosting, producing a quiz show of your own called Lucky 13. What, what made you want to sign on to that? You know, um, this company had had tremendous success in, in the UK um, with Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. And, and it wasn't even something that was necessarily on my radar, but they sent me a number of kind of possibilities of things that they were knocking around in the in the you know quiz slash you know kind of reality thing and i read this uh pitch for lucky 13 and then we went and played the game actually it's funny my wife was we were driving had happened to be driving my wife was in the car so she was listening to me play this game <laughs> and it's just a super cool fun game i mean it's just uh it just is exciting. It just it just works. And I thought, you know, at this point in my life, there's so many things that I have done. You know, why not try something new? You know, and uh, and 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 see how it goes. Uh, uh, you know, I'm um I I I I feel like I've always tried to say, well, how about I make my own rules? You know, how about the I don't follow the rules necessarily of of you know the rest of the world. I'll I'll make my own rules. So. So this is this is one of those moments where I can, you know, just try something new. Absolutely. I can't wait to watch it. And I can't wait to see the rest of this season. Uh, Kevin Bacon, thank you so much for your time. It's been fun. Thank you. Take care. Let's move on now to news. And a bit of news dropped into my push notifications this morning, which was that Disney Plus may have overtaken Netflix yeah. in terms of subscribers. Which was quite the revelation. Yeah, I think in the US they have. Was it they? US? Was yeah, it a US thing? They've got 152 million subscribers um i think in the, i think it was in the us but they yeah they're, oh, they're saying they will if not they have overtaken uh yeah which is which is in itself interesting definitely 
obviously Netflix have been in, shall we say, it's decline a harsh word. Um, well, they've um, kind of, yeah, they've definitely had struggling. Issues. Yeah, they've been struggling a little bit. They've been struggling yeah. a little bit. But uh, so it's interesting to see that Disney are kind of forging ahead. I mean, they do have a lot of stuff on there. So I'm not, I guess, surprised that it's popular. But I guess in my head, I'd realized that Netflix was no longer the sort of unassailable king of streaming. But I hadn't realized quite how close it was. Oh, I think so, actually, having said that, I think it is glue. I'm just looking at it now. Yeah. Disney sees a total of two. Sorry, they went up. Disney edged past Netflix with a total of 221 million streaming subscribers at the end of the most recent quarter. Um, and, and it announced a Disney Plus option with advertising, like which also Netflix had added. So, yeah, so actually, it is globally. Um, they've got literally like one, <laughs> it comes down to about 500,000 um, subscribers, which is amazing because Netflix has two, 220.7 million, Disney 221.1. Wow. Yeah, that's pretty incredible, isn't it? So, yeah, last, Netflix has been losing subscribers and Disney's putting them on. So, yeah. I mean, that is that is an interesting and Meanwhile, situation. HBO Max seems to be imploding. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I mean, we've had more more things have been cancelled, haven't they, since uh, since last we spoke? I mean, look, DC anthology series Strange Adventures not moving forward at HBO Max is not going to keep me up at night, but uh, I'm sure no. some people are wanting to see it. Yeah, and also I thought Amon Warman of of you know of of, of Empire Podcast and Empire Contributor uh, fame pointing out that a lot of the um, projects that seem to slow down, they just, mm. people are using slow down with slowing down development of projects. Like, what does that mean? Um, uh, or even sorted together are ones involving people of color in their cast, which is not great. I mean, mm. that, so the thing I think Beth mentioned a couple of, when when this guy's story broke that HB, the HBO Max um, Discovery merger, etc was going to have an impact on creators, you know, kind of, of, of the diversity of creators. Mm. It seems to actually be happening. I mean, it seems to be. So, yeah, it's... it's uh, Not good. No. What else has been happening in the world? Well, I've got some breaking news for you guys. Uh, Strictly lineup. Oh, James. James. James is first. Kate, Kate, Kate. Now, I'm sure Listen. I gave you the memo. No. Are you, I got the memo. I ripped it up. There is the point a... of it is, people watch it, right? And I'm here with the... Um, the entertainment show Don't news. You did, Boyd is Boyd, nodding, nodding. Yes, sort I, tell of, you, yeah. I tell you why Boydo's nodding. James. I mean, I didn't even watch it. Is it because yeah. someone from Arsenal is doing. Yes. yes. Oh well, my God. Yeah. Well so, done. If Jason Momoa <laughs> were doing Strictly yeah. in character as Baba Voss, I would fucking watch it. But yeah. really, See? other than that. Listen, I tell, this is why I'm telling you the news. I wouldn't have brought it to you otherwise. But the names are being slowly revealed every day, a new name is being announced. So, so far, we've had people like Jade Adams, comedian, um, actors Kim Marr. Will Meller. Um, there's Richie Anderson. I think he was a former footballer, apparently. I don't know. Presenter. Oh. Um, Kay Adams. Um, Ellie Simmons, Paralympian James. Come on. I've, I've not recognised no a idea. single okay, name. Okay, you'll know this name. So far. You will know this name. Matt Goss. Oh, yes, yes, yes. Yes, yes. yes. I, I think I'm everyone saw the after the The brother the of the stops. star of, uh, of Blade 2. Yes, that's, <laughs> yeah, that's uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> um, and anyway, the reason why I, I was bringing this up, because yesterday, Boy turned to me and went, looks like I'll be watching Strictly this year. And I was like, what? Because I, I hadn't seen the announcement. I was like, oh, my God, has he had, you know, been lobotomized? What's going on? Because he never watches it. Um, or very, you know, doesn't often dip in. And it's because Tony Adams, Spurs player, no joke, Arsenal. Look at him, look at him. <laughs> Rolling his eyes. Arsenal player Tony Adams has signed up. He's the 11th name to be announced. So it's an exciting day for Boyd and always an exciting day for me because I 
love Strictly. I love dancing. I love watching the show, Claudia Winkleman, etc. So that is my yeah. news I'm and, bringing to the and table. T- just to say, Tony Adams doing it. Tony Adams is an absolute... The word legend is overused, particularly in the world of football, actually. But he is a, one of the most legendary Arsenal players of all time. So it is a bit like Bubba Voss doing it, from, <laughs> from my point of view. <laughs> it is. Okay. Um, because he is an absolute living legend, yeah. So it's very... Do you fun. think he'll be good, though? Um, I He's think very he will. And... I think he will make sure that in the build-up to when they actually start um, rehearsing and all of that and training that he will uh, do as well as get, he possibly can. He, tell, he will take it seriously. Fit. He will get match fit. He'll be very, he'll be trying it out with his wife or whatever, you know, <laughs> trying, trying out ballroom dancing. Wow. Yeah. Um, so I think he'll probably be better than you think. He's very tall though. Yeah, He's that's like the thing. And four or whatever. Famously tall uh, contestants, dancers, don't often do yeah. well, I found. They can be a bit awkward. I mean, he could be out first week. You know, how, you know who else is tall? Go on. You. Boba Voss. Yeah, <laughs> true. He is very tall. You're right. What are your um, dancing skills like, James? Yeah, Just... I don't. Well, I, one does not dance. Fine. Yes. Bubba Voss is the Tony Adams of uh, <laughs> fantasy. TV. He is. He is. One hundred percent. Yes. Yeah. He understands. Yeah. Oh, the things I could tell you about the final season of Sea Boy, but I won't. No. I'm going to dive in soon. Yeah. When I'm when everything. You might have finished. to if we end up reviewing it on next yeah, week's that's show. True. So. Yeah, that's true. I think it's embargoed. Though. I'm pretty sure. It's yeah. Embargoed. Probably. Please will God, let it be embargoed. Uh, what else is happening? I'll tell you what else is happening. This is this also arrived in my inbox this morning, which is that Sky Arts has commissioned. I don't know if you know about this. A a um, survey to find out the 50 most influential British artists of the last 50 years. And in I'm all, on there. No, you're not. In all next year, in all walks of life. So it's like um, there's people from visual art, uh, from writing, from literature, writing, <laughs> literature, um, uh, etc. The podcasting arts. arts pod- podcasting again next time. But And film and TV. And I happen to have been on the panel. That oh dis- my gosh, I yes. thought you were going to say, I've so, been, I've so been does, nominated. I'm not nominated. No, you're on no, the panel, no. so you were judging. So is the winner Nigella Lawson saying micro wave? Is that what's happened? <laughs> <laughs> you absolute. That is brilliant. Yeah, <laughs> me along with Ali Plum, your friend. Oh, Ali's Ali Plum, on there. Yeah, former Empire um, person, now Radio One film critic. Me and Dr. Clive Nwanka, who's a lecturer in film, culture, and society at UCL. Okay, <laughs> and we. So they divided the way the judging was. They divided the judges into groups for their expertise. So we 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 came in with film and TV ideas, right? Right. And other people came up with, you know, literary arts, performing arts ideas. But the but the bottom line is they've announced the top 50 and the number one, you won't be surprised to know that the number one most influential person in the last 50 years is David Bowie, James. Yeah. Right. Big fan. No brainer. But all I'll tell you is these are the one. the net, this, the, I'll just talk about the top 10 quickly. Number two is Sir Steve McQueen, as in, you know, 12 Years a Slave, Small Acts, etc. Yeah. Number three, number three, the third most influential person. Is it Jason Momoa? No, it's Russell T. Davis. <laughs> right, okay, Quite I can't argue with that. Russell T. Davis. Notorious RTD. Yeah. Four, Dame Vivian Westwood. You won't understand about that. Carol <laughs> Churchill, playwright, five. Michael Clark, dancer, definitely not, six. Angela Carter, writer, seven. Stormzy at eight. Yes. Just about, you'll just about <laughs> be aware of his work. Nine, Muriel Spock. Ten, Michaela Cole. Oh really? Yeah, yeah, that's a good list. Yeah, so I think it's a it's a very good list. And le- later on in the list, you'll see we have Richard Gervais is on it, Steve Coogan's on it, um, Ridley Scott is on it. I think yeah. he's the highest filmmaker. Any more um, women on the list? Michaela Cole. She's yeah, no, uh, other than Michaela Cole. You uh, remember Michaela Cole? She made the second best TV show of 2020. <laughs> so that's, uh, <laughs> she made the best TV show. The Easter hasn't watched. <laughs> Unbelievable. Um, there are lots of yeah, there are lots of women in it. Okay. Dame Vivian Westwood mentioned yeah, yeah, yeah. top ten. Um, but um, yeah, so it's so yeah, you can read the whole list. Um, I link to it on my. Uh, Twitter today, but I thought it was a fascinating uh, process. <laughs> boys, I thought it was a fascinating list that I put together. That was very good. <laughs> I helped. I helped self, put self-promotion, boys. <laughs> I helped put together. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. Thank you. 
Right, okay. Uh, there is, I'm sure there's some other bits of news. Kelly Cuoco is doing a new uh, Peacock series, a dark comedy based on a true story, uh, which is called Based on a True Story. Oh. <laughs> so there you go. Uh, I don't even know if it is based on a true story, but it is called Based on a True Story. Uh, it's executive produced by Craze Rosenberg, who did The Boys, who worked on The Boys. Um, and uh, it's, and I quote, Inspired by a bizarre true event, the series is about a realtor, a plumber, and a former tennis star, speaking of a joke, uh, whose lives unexpectedly collide, exposing America's obsession with true crime murder and the slow-closed toilet seat. I assume that is comedy. God, it's going to be a hard one to Google, though, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, a little bit, a yeah. little bit. You Google based on a true story. Yeah, based on a true that. story. Yeah, they haven't yeah, done that at all. There you go. Well, I mean, you have that problem when I look up C. It's like C. It's yeah, like yeah, the Google results for that is a shit show. Yeah, absolute pain. Um, John Hamm, the morning show. Do you see that news? Oh, he's on the morning yeah, show. Yeah, John Hamm's going to be joining the cast of the morning show. That's another slow burn that I never got through. Mad Men. Oh, right. I thought you were going to say the morning show. That no, was morning show was not a slow burn. Like like Mad Men, I Mad could, Men is, couldn't, Mad couldn't Men, get into. Mad Men is one of the classic all-time slow burn shows. You're right. I would agree with that. So, yeah, John Hamm is going to appear in season three as Paul Marks, a corporate titan who sets his sights on UBA, the network, pulling Corey, Billy Crudup, Alex, Jennifer Aniston, and Bradley, Reese Witherspoon, into his powerful orbit. Okay. Mm. Um, and the other, John Hamm is, is a busy man because he's also, I think, the lead in season five of Fargo, which I think they're kind of filming or coming filming um, so yeah can't get enough John Ham good Ham earning his bacon <laughs> sorry I know this is I why know. we have listen, K on this I mean, podcast yeah. listen yeah. I know this I mean I'll gold. get my bag no no <laughs> go on uh, so Rosario Dawson announced that the Punisher was coming back and then I think rolled it back immediately afterwards did oh, you see yeah. this I, well, she did the whole yeah. thing oh the Punisher's coming back it's great and then she went oh, I may have been mistaken I don't know anything which sounds a lot like to me she may have said something and then Disney called her up and went what the actual fuck oops so this may or may not actually be true but it's been yeah. disavowed. Yeah. It's a bit like, isn't, didn't, um, what's his name when, when they um announcing the offshoot of Game of Thrones about um Jon Snow? He kind of like, didn't, wasn't Did he announced? roll, I don't think he rolled, I, I don't roll think, no, I don't think he rolled back, yeah. but I mean, it was more like, what, I don't Kit think anyone, Harrington? yeah, Kit Harrington yeah. kind of announced it, and I don't think anyone, I don't think it was, HBO was like officially announcing it no, at no, all. They were like, oh, but, all right, brilliant, yeah. thanks Kit. <laughs> yeah, that hasn't been, has been rolled back. You know nothing, Jon Snow. Uh, <laughs> wow. Anything else? Oh, oh, we, oh we, speaking of Game of Thrones, though, they did talk about the sexual violence or lack oh, yeah, thereof on House of the Dragon, which I thought yeah. was an interesting, if slightly odd announcement to make. But I wonder whether it did put off a lot of people because the sexual violence in Game of Thrones was not, not. I mean, some of the scenes were really, really horrific. And I was quite pleased to hear that they're not. Because obviously it's based on books and it's part of the narrative in the books. And that's what you're doing. Obviously, this is new material. Uh, and I just, part of me is just like, good, because we can kind of do without all that, frankly. Mm. Uh, and as someone who finds those scenes quite difficult to navigate the best of times, I'm quite pleased that there won't be any. Well, I don't want to get into it, but there, was a lot, there has been a lot of discussion. Matt Smith talked about in interviews for, I think, one particular interview, maybe with Rolling Stone. The sex scenes. The sex too scenes. Too many sex he scenes. He said there were too many sex yeah. scenes. Then he kind of had to roll that back a ah. bit, clearly. Because anything anyone says now yeah. in an interview, it's a cl- that was a classic example. I could go bang on about this for hours. But, you know, he gave an interesting, honest answer about sex scenes in the Game of Thrones prequel, saying basically, probably half-jokingly, there yeah. were loads of sex scenes. Yeah. It is embarrassing to film a sex scene, no matter for most yeah, and he's like, Do I have to? I've got to whip it out again. Yeah. So clearly, um, there's going to be loads of Matt Smith-based sex scenes in 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 House of the Dragon, which he mentioned. And then it, then in the next interview, I had to roll it back because people are saying, "Oh, he's complaining about it." You know, it's like, no, he was just observing. Yeah. You know, but it is interesting that there are a lot of sex scenes in it, not not necessarily sexual violence scenes. Mm. Thank God, I agree with you. Why is it interesting? Well, because. 
I, I think one of the things that people don't like to talk about or almost don't admit is one of the reasons Game of Thrones was a massive crossover hit and one of the biggest cultural phenomena of time is the amount of sex in it. Yeah. I, I mean, thought I, everyone, I thought everyone's well, very open about that. Well, yeah, but yes and no, because bear in mind, like it was gratuitous and a little it was bit objectifying early yeah, on, and was. they actually started to get some shit for it, and they toned it right down. They did they in on. the last few seasons, yeah. yeah. So that 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 was what the po- oh, fine, point I was yeah. getting to eventually. That the last few seasons of Game of Thrones, when kind of the story suddenly took over, if you like, there were much fewer gratuitous sex scenes, and you'd see much more story, less. So sex. we're back in House of Dragon, apparently, if if from what Matt's sister says, and we'll find out on Monday at the premiere. Um, that sex is back. In sex the, is back. Sex is back. And the other story that touched upon intimacy coordinators, did you see Sean Bean gave an interview in which he'd star of the show we're about to review, Marriage, talked about, um, he compl- he said he, he didn't, he, oh, yes. he complained about the use of intimacy coordinators and there was a big shit show about that. And I'm what the thing that amazed me is that Sean Bean even went that controversial in any interview because I've, I've met him a couple of times and interviewed him a couple of times and he was such a sweet, what completely was his harmless. I didn't read his. I think interview. he thought it was less natural. You know, he felt like back in the day it shouldn't be choreographed. You know, it's more, it's easier to film an in quotes natural sex scene between two or more actors if they're not everything isn't. But obviously, the thing about choreography at its best is you don't notice it because it's being done brilliantly. You know, and there, and you're not leaving the actors slash actresses. And also, there's nothing natural when you're filming it because mm. you've got about eight right. yeah, exactly. people, people you, holding so. booms in your face. And stuff. Yeah. Also, I feel like that's coming from a very privileged position as a man because they're not mm. really there mm. to protect him. Oh, 100%. You know, and it's like, mate, yeah. you may not need one, but actually, look at the history yeah. of film and TV production. They're fucking needed. And the amount of people, Amanda Seyfried, the amount of people who've come out since then and said, I had some really uncomfortable experiences and I didn't want to seem difficult and I just went along with it. Now, if we'd had an intimacy coordinator, I would have felt protected and yeah, more comfortable. Of and it's just like, yeah, so, 100%. yeah. yeah. Check your privilege, Sean. Yes. yes. <laughs> anyway, on that note, I think that is the end of news, if only because this podcast has been going on for at least a week. And let's move on to this week's reviews. And we begin this week with Red Rose on BBC Three. See, I'm saying the channel up top now because I got complaints uh. from people saying, well, you, you, say, you bury the lead, you save it to the end, you go, you review a show, you get us all psyched up, and then you say it's on a service we don't have. I do actually mention at the very beginning of the show, but fine, for you, for you who complained, first this week we have Red Rose on BBC Three. And this answers the question as to what would happen if Blumhouse made a millennial horror movie in Lancashire. Uh, This is an enchanted wish-granting app uh, that kind of also exacts a terrible price, but deserves points, and this is absolutely true, for having the world's greatest title card to wit <laughs> a screen that simply reads Bolton six months later uh, which is a work of absolute genius it also features a surreally low energy rave up moors uh, which was good too so Boydy Boydy roses are red violets are blue I didn't love this what did you? Oh, <laughs> amazing. The funny thing is, I was going to mention the, the rave. The rave, the outdoor rave in some like... Was it a rave? I mean, I mean it wasn't a rave. They were playing no, Rhythm guys, is a Dancer. This is actually a rave. Do you know what it was? It go was on. post-GCSE, summer starting, excitement. When you go with your mate somewhere, you have a drink. and you know, Up places, Upmores, and you, uh, you know, drink, have some fun, listen to some music. I don't think we can class it as a rave, so I don't think you can then like, be dismissive of it, it because it, it wasn't. It felt a rave. like they were like, were people waving their arms they around? Were. And it was and just like they were yeah. playing loud dance music. Yeah, I mean, also weirdly dated, like old yes, loud dance music because it's a contemporary show. Yeah, but and they were playing really random. People, yeah, they were playing like nineties like tracks. There was, I mean, maybe the kids of today love their nineties 
dance music. Stage, like, how, yeah, but and Barbie it, Girl plays it, over the end credits right, as well. So but, it's yeah. like, wow, fingers on the pulse, guys. <laughs> steady, steady. Um, yes, this is an f- interesting one. I mean, it, it, I think also think the first episode is called like it's Grim Up North or something. They're definitely the creators of this show who are um, twins, and um, they are called. Uh, here we go. They are called Michael and Paul Clarkson, known as the Clarkson Twins, who worked on the Haunting of Blind Manor. And C, they've written for C. Yes, victory for Bubba Voss. So these guys, these twins, so I remember hearing about them a few years ago when, like, I think Edinburgh TV Festival, broadcast magazine do, like, up-and-coming people to pay attention to, and they were definitely named as being these two great kind of writing talents who are up-and-coming. And And they, in interviews surrounding the show, they were like, they are from Bolton, I believe, and they're celebrating (laughs) Bolton. And they're like, we could have stayed in Hollywood working on the House of Bly Manor and C and stuff like that, but no, we've come home to create this horror. Yeah, absolutely respect this teen horror set in Bolton. And it does definitely celebrate. And that, I definitely was like, oh, the the landscape, in in the said sequence you're talking about, the, the outdoor rave, it does show the landscape of this place off pretty well. And it does look kind of interestingly rugged and properly impressive visually. It does. It does. So this is from, it's created by those guys. It's an eight-parter. It's produced by the production company that gave us Sex Education, among others. They also did Glue and the Enfield Haunting. And um, it's cast mainly up-and-coming people, Amelia Clarkson, who's in The Last Kingdom, Isis Hainsworth, um, who's in Kathleen Colberti, which is a film coming up. Um, and it's kind of an ensemble of teenagers, of young people who are all fixated on social media, obviously. So they're looking at Instagram mainly, that kind of thing. And the quite interesting premise is that there's this kind of, there's this app that people download, the Red Rose app, which then proceeds in a quite horrific and disturbing way to intervene in communications Mm. between these people. So it basically forces messages from one person to be distorted and lied to went on to the receiver if you like that's that long and badly explained but what i mean it kind of like haunts your social media and your iphone or whatever you're using other phones are available and kind of ruins people's lives but it seems to be attempting for whatever power whatever force to ruin the lives of the people who download this app and then use it and and in the first episode you know for example you know uh, no, I'm not into that because that will spoil it. But the, what it does, it, it's quite excruciatingly painful to watch in some ways. I was quite, on the one hand, I was quite impressed by the premise that, that it was an interesting idea and that it introduced characters that quite quickly you kind of care about or you're at least intrigued by. And I did find the what it was forcing the characters to do really uncomfortable and borderline unpleasant, yeah. which I think it was supposed to be. But on the other hand, I did wonder whether it was so unpleasant, the whole idea of it, and it's, that it was just going to be annoying and that I wouldn't want to carry on watching it because I found it too annoying that these people's lives are being ruined by this mysterious app. I didn't find it annoying. I found it creepy as fuck. Okay, that's interesting. Like, yeah, yeah, it's more so of an open... I, I, borderline. I, I, I yeah. found it creepy as well. I agree. I think... I think I, I was... I, th- I think to start with, at least, with this, with this brave scene that we're talking about and other scenes, it was slightly felt a bit try-hard in trying to portray a group of young people and their dialogue. I mean, Beth <laughs> often goes on about how... Hello, fellow kids. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> Beth talks about how often it's really difficult to get young people's dialogue right and not sounding a little bit overly contrived that you're trying to show, you know, we're dead on with the kids. And there are a couple of moments where they're all talking at the same time and, you know, they come out of a cafe and they're all kind of chatting shit to each other. And I felt, all right, 
yeah, we, we get it. You know, you're kind of you're down with the kids, and they're a group of what? disparate. No. Yeah, I felt it was. I, I'm just moments. I'm not. I'm being slightly hypercritical here because I was. I think you're being really hypercritical. All right, I, but I don't. I did, but I generally. It was possibly in the. It's interesting. It's directed by one of the guys who directs Elite, which is the Spanish teen drama yeah. that I, I am quite a fan of, and he almost has sometimes a deliberately slightly over the top. Um, way of directing stuff that rams the point home, and I think it's just his style. And I f- and I did feel that watching this first episode that it was slightly kind of slightly unsubtle in the way that it tells its story. And I don't, I'm not saying that, I'm not necessarily saying that that is in, in a critical way. I think it's just the way it played out in this episode. But I enjoyed it enough, definitely, and I'm fascinated by it, and I want to carry on watching it to get to get to the hell of point of what the fuck is going on with this app and who's operating it, and if it is like a just this whole thing is a supernatural force, and we have to just buy, um, go along with that. And I thought it was well acted. I thought the cast interesting, and you know, proper newcomers who are not you're not same old faces that we're used to. So I was pretty intrigued, I have to say. I was as well, and as mm. you know, this is not my kind of show. No. But, um, horror, yeah. not a fan. Um, but yeah, no, I I disagree in that. I just really like the portrayal of these. Um, teenage friendships and relationships the fact that you know it kind of catches the euphoria of post GCSEs the euphoria <laughs> oh. oh god oh. Um, <laughs> turn down his mic um, yeah <laughs> um, and the relationships and like what happened you know the excitement of your first love and then but the awkwardness of when you fall out with a friend because they feel jealous slash left out yada yada so I really liked it and I, I think it really got across the how kids communicate and I didn't feel like it was heavy handed but um, I would I would watch it some more because I am intrigued about who is behind Red Rose. I mean, if it's supernatural, then I probably will switch off. But I would like it if there's an element I think of it is. Is it? I mean, that's a, yeah. I mean, it kind of has to be. It feels. It? Yeah, it does there's feel like, like ghostly yeah. apparitions yeah. that you're watching, you know, and stuff. Yeah. I thought the the ghostly apparition was a bit lo-fi. See, this is this Here is where go. it lost me a bit. So the <laughs> prologue, like. The prologue for me didn't work. I'm not. I'm not saying it's student film bad, but it just felt that the. I'm not saying that. But what I mean is, I just it just felt like the tropes being used were so hoary and so well worn. And I just thought, oh my god, I can't tell you the times I've seen this before. Like it just this felt so unfresh, which is why I was like Bolton six months later, and I was like, oh okay, interesting. And now we're in a new place, with new people. You know, we're up north. Interesting, but. This is not a new concept. Like, there, there was a film in 2019 called Countdown, which is about an evil app. You know, it's basically mm. Ringood. You know, it's all of these things. It's all mm. with technology. You had a bit yeah. of supernatural stuff and it killed you. And it's just like, so it isn't fresh. What is interesting about this is that it's a TV show. And partly because of that, the pacing is obviously very different to if it had been a 90... Because all these the Blumhouse... Like they're short, they're, they're concise, they're to the point, they don't fuck about, which means they don't tend to have a lot of time to focus on character. I think where this works is the characters are fleshed out, mm. they're interesting, they're unconventional for horror films as well. They do not fall into sort of trope archetypes. Yeah. And I was like, oh, I really like these characters. I'm really interested to know their background, like the the, the sort of fractures between the friendship group. That's what interested me. Couldn't give a fuck about your spooky app. Not interested in the slightest. But mm-hmm. I was really interested in the characters and I wanted to see how that developed. And I weirdly found the main story of this app actually a distraction from the stuff that interested me. I think the main character, Roche, is really good. Yeah. And like what they've done with her. And, and like Ren, her sort yeah, of Ren, quote unquote best friend. Expe- yeah, yeah, well, quite. Yeah. Ex-best friend. Frenemy. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, I, I, I agree about that. I think the detailing of their friendships and the backstories to each of them and the fact that Rosh like she is you know she's from a family that her mum's died and like she's having to bring up her twin uh, sisters and stuff like that and you really feel for her 
Um, and it's the whole thing like she's poor she's going to food banks and stuff yeah. and yeah. embarrassed about yeah, it and smart. there's a queer storyline in there as well like there's a lot of stuff going on uh, and their group and I like the fact that there's real imbalance in the friendship group the way some of them are not popular some of them don't like others and it's like and the sort of the sanctity of the WhatsApp group when they invite a third party and they're like what the fuck they come into the WhatsApp group what's going on uh so I really liked all that, and I think the characterization here elevates this above what it is, which is actually a very, very hoary old horror trope thing <laughs> put into a TV series. Uh, but I, and I think the character yeah. work actually, if you're into that stuff and actually that's your jam, I think the character work maybe does make it worth watching. But for me, it's just that I feel like I've seen this story play out too many times, and I just I it, it lost me with the the central conceit, unfortunately. Yeah, but I, I think I think you're right. I think the 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 characters is what it's all, and I think they've done a really good job of creating a, a, a set of a core set of characters who aren't, none of whom are stereotypical. No. Every single teen drama ever, you know, even including sexual education, I mean, sexual education is partly all about puncturing those yes. um, stereotypes, but you still have the jock, you know, athletic one and the, you know, the, it's still kind the of... gay best friend. Exactly. Um, but this completely avoids that entirely. Mm. And I think partly you'd think clearly the Clarkson twins, part of the whole premise for them must have been that, to establish a group of a realistic young people who aren't don't fall into cliched boxes etc and that and it definitely works on that level even though I do have issues with individual moments if you like that I thought were slightly clunky but I I, I, I you're right about the the, the that the app we've seen this kind of thing before, but I still think there's a certain originality to the way it's told. Yeah, I definitely yeah, agree with so that. So that's that's what's yeah. going to keep me going. But I also I have a like a, a trope that irritates me is the and I know it's one of the you know foundations of comedy. Maybe that's why I don't like it. Is the quote unquote misunderstanding between friends things. And obviously one of the things the app does as a spoiler is it shall we say it tweaks your text messages. Oh, completely. And yeah, that's that what kind I was of trying stuff to say. really. Yeah. I, I yeah. find that not that I think it's bad plotting or it's even lazy or anything. Like, it's just something about that. It does. It's almost like the the cringe comedy thing to me. It, it twists a knot in my gut. That's what I, was I find. Yeah, well, I, I can't do it. Clearly, he wasn't even listening to what I was saying about ten minutes. That's exactly oh, I didn't realize that was what you were referring oh, no, to no, when stop. you said it. But yes, maybe it was my ineloquence. You, yeah, you didn't say it clearly. But I, yeah, I'm with you on that. Like, I find yeah, that stuff, I found it excruciating. It's excruciating. Yeah, yeah. the manipulation that's excruciating. of communication. Yes. Yeah. Yes. yes, thanks. And that's why we should all use our voices and not use technology. <laughs> The end. Except uh, for when you want to listen to this podcast. Except when you want to listen to the podcast, mm. obviously. Mm. Or book tickets to the live show. <laughs> um, right, so that is Red Rose. And boy, that is on BBC Three when? Monday, uh, 10 o'clock. Monday at 10 o'clock. <laughs> Excellent. Right, next this week we have Marriage on BBC One, which has, in fact, already aired, but we thought it was worth talking about nonetheless. Uh, this stars the legendary Nicola Walker and the similarly epic hater of intimacy coordinator Sean Bean uh, as Emma and Ian, who have been together for 30 years, and this one begins with a row about a jacket potato. Uh, Kay, were you wedded to this? I don't know. Do you like it? I did like it a lot. I did like it. As we just kind of mentioned earlier, it is a slow burn. So I think you have. I think anyone going into this has to be aware that it's basically portraying a relationship, a long-term marriage mm. over twelve days, and the couple Emma and Ian they've just got back from the holiday. They're settling back into real life, and it's portraying their marriage. So Emma's very busy, full-time job. Um, she has to like she's meeting the demands of her father, who's a bit of a shit <laughs> no Fair. I mean he's got needs I mean he makes her feel bad for going away that's why I'm calling him a shit he but, was a shit he um, was a shit yeah, yeah. yeah. and um, 
the husband, um, Ian, he's been recently made redundant. So he's got a lot of time in his hands, um, he, which leads to some excruciating moment where he goes to the gym, but I won't get into that. Um, yeah, and, oh my God. Yeah, isn't it? Talk about excruciating. It's, oh my God. Yeah. I, 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 Total I, backwards. That was a proper, I need to leave the room. I need to leave the room. I'm going to die. It was so, so well done though, because I was like, oh God, please stop. Please stop. Just <laughs> please, please leave the gym immediately. Um, but anyway, yeah. So, so it's written and directed by Stefan Golosowski and um, who, who, as we know, was the legend behind him and her and mum. He is really into, with this show in particular, he's really into the forensic detailing of this, what everyday, the mundanity of everyday life and marriage. And like, for example, as you referred to, the jacket potato, right? <laughs> so there's this moment where they have this falling out of a simple jacket potato yep. where it starts off as a small niggle and, you know, in kind of, um, no, no, it's fine, it's fine. The fact that she didn't buy him a jacket potato. But the face acting when yeah, he says it's, it's fine. amazing. And you see the irritation it's, flash it's across his face. Uns- with this drama, it's all the unspoken yeah. words. So like, there's loads of silences that just communicate so much. And I think this is what the, be- the beauty of this whole drama is the silences, it's the small um, analysis and observations of a long-term relationship that everyone I think watching is going to relate to. And so it is slow moving, um, but I think there's just enough in it that Peaks your in, kept my attention. So, for example, the moment in the gym that I won't go into too much detail about, but it's, it's quite intriguing. The fact that they're both very inarticulate with their emotions, they can't express them that well. So mm. that scene when their daughter, Jessica, brings back the her boyfriend who is a toxic shit. Uh, oh my God, isn't he he's just? awful. And yet they don't kind of communicate that with her because they don't know how to say it. They don't, you know, express themselves like that. Um, and also there's intrigue around the fact that Emma's boss, there's clearly something perhaps that's going on there. Mm. Um, so there's enough that, uh, you know, keeps your attention. But having said that, like, it's long drawn out as any relationship, you know, the like the moments of intrigue, not intrigue, the moments that where they're talking about taking the bins out. It's very slow moving. And Nicola Walker actually said in an interview there were scenes where she was like boiling the kettle 28 times or making the same sandwich 30 times because Stefan is so fixed on getting those small moments right. And that's, you know, you see that because it's so, it's relatable in real life. You just recognise it. It's like, oh God, yeah, that's that's me yesterday. It's like it's like the beauty of mundanity yeah. this show is like it is I think one of the most affecting and accurate portrayals of human relationships I've ever seen and there and just even going back to the first 5 minutes of the episode which is around about chips versus jacket potatoes which gets quite heated and they have a proper fucking go at each other on the plane and then as the plane takes off he's afraid of flying and he puts his hand out in the aisle because they're sitting across the aisle from each other and her hand is already there waiting mm. for him they just hold hands going up because it doesn't matter moment, that he's yeah. being a dick and that he's been yelling at her you know it's fine he didn't mean it she knows it and they love each other and it's you know and it's just there's those little moments are so perfectly observed that it's almost magical even if it is incredibly slow Mm. it is is one of the extraordinary thing about this for me and you you talked about what what Stefan has done in the past um, the brilliant job he did with him and her and mum what's interesting those were half hour comedies in heavy quotes I mean I mean, him, him and her was mostly confined to one set until the final season and played out in real time. He loves real time stuff. Um, but there were always enough funny things happening all the way through to even, to, so even the moments where nothing much was happening, which is kind of the whole point of his, of his style. You always, it was always like, enough was happening to keep to make it funny and compelling and you know not particularly challenging to watch this for me is his it's in terms of this is an hour long mm. drama 
I mean, there are moments of there are moments that are funny that are kind of you know very dryly funny. Um, but it's pretty. I was I'm amazed this is going out BBC One Sunday night. You talked about it already. Yeah, only so, first episode will have aired, but then it carries on Monday nights. It's yeah, showing two nights, four parts. Showing four parts, mm. two two episodes per week. Um, it will be on iPlayer, I'm sure. But this is Sunday night. This is in the you know this is in the. The, the the line of duty yeah, slot. Yeah, this is it not is not line of yeah, duty. Yeah, people, I mean, I just think the average viewer is going to be like, "What the fuck?" Because there are moments. I mean, there's a scene in episode two that summed up for me the, the pacing of the show, where she goes to see the dad, played by James Bone, an absolute legend, and she just makes sandwiches for him in real time. <laughs> that's and, probably the scene she's talking about. Yeah, she's just making sandwiches yeah, like for so many takes. Yeah. yeah, and she and it, and it's literally making a sandwich is quite a slow process. You have to butter the bread. <laughs> you have to find the. You're talking us through it. And James Bowen is literally saying, and it's in silence. Every now and then James Bowen asks her something just to be annoying. And this is on her, their wedding anniversary night. But it just, he is going for it. And I love the uncompromising nature of it. Mm. And it's very him. It's very Stefan um, uh, to, to kind of be this uncompromising. But I'm I'm like, you, wow, BBC One, I'm not, you know, I, BBC Two, yeah, fine. You know, people know challenging stuff. But it does work brilliantly. I'm not criticising it at all. I think it's fantastic that it's on BBC One and well done to whoever took that decision. But it, this is really... It's, bold. it's boldly... Mm. Boldly In slow, and that's almost the whole point of yeah. a lot of it is how how time take how much it takes to do stuff in a relationship, and it's like what he seems to be saying is this is real life. Yeah. What you see in every other drama mm-hmm. out there is bullshit. And reality I'm, TV and reality, is bullshit. Right. This is what it's this really is reality like. and he's TV. Right. He's and also, this is how right. boring it can be staying yeah. with the same person for 30 yeah. years. Yeah. I also think you you realize as it as it plays out, I've watched two two episodes of the four that you slowly begin to realise that every male character, kind of including Ian, Sean, the Sean Bean character, but at least you you know that he, it's tempered by certain elements of him that you, you can't, you feel sorry for him, but pretty much all the men in the show are fucking horrendous. And they are, and the, the, the cliche phrase, toxic masculinity, but he's really delving mm. into this fucking, what makes these men so problematic. Mm. And particularly, as you said, the young guy, Henry the Lloyd. The boyfriend. He, the boyfriend, Adam, played by Jack Holden, is an absolute fucking prick. But controlling. Like, but yeah, controlling, manipulative. Yeah. Just, Coercive, yeah. Oh, but he is brilliantly observed. Brilliantly observed. Because <gasps> yeah. it's, you're, it's just, you don't realise at first what's wrong. And that, as again, as it slowly plays out and you see how he behaves. And For how, me, it was the moment with a salad. Yeah. If you remember yeah, it, I was, was like, moment, okay, yeah. the but salad then, moment. Also, her boss, yeah. played by Henry Lloyd Hughes, is another kind of shit. And, you know, <laughs> is also fucking horrendous. And this, this scene in episode two, you know, where he's on, on the sofa is just fucking like, painful. A lot of it is quite painful to watch. Um, <laughs> but in a good but way. But, you know, kudos to... He, he's a genius at this stuff. And I love the fact that he's that uncompromising with it. And as an indication, I was looking at um, an interview with him they had on the BBC website, website and they said to him, what were you influences when creating the show this is his answer this says a lot about Stefan in a brilliant way he says I would say more novelists and musicians than filmmakers or playwrights people like Zola George Eliot Bach and Stravinsky <laughs> and I'm like yeah why not go for it go for it that's yeah. what we're dealing with and fucking brilliant you know we're talking about that, that listener question for me this sums up the fact that I mean this is not you know, you have your attention span. If you're a quick attention span person, mm. this is not the show for you. But I think it's brilliant that this is happening. This whole thing but and everyone in it is an absolute genius. Nicola Walker, mm. fucking hell, she's amazing. Sean Bean, brilliant. It's just fantastic. I, I hope it does well though. So then it sends a clear message. 
I think it will do well enough because I think I think part of the so the clever thing is they've cast two big, very yeah. popular people yeah. in those lead roles. So that's if you the, didn't have that, this yeah, would struggle. It would, mm. and I've and the trailers. Funnily enough, I've seen. Have you seen the trailers for mm. it? They're, they're trailing it a lot on BBC, and they're quite and it's quite cunning. And the trailer makes it look kind of slightly funnier in a <laughs> way. Very slick and <laughs> yeah, it makes it look kind of slightly funnier than it actually is in when it, when you're watching an hour of this stuff. But I mean, I think it's fantastic. Yeah. I do firmly firmly believe that that gym sequence is going to appear in my anxiety dreams going you know what? Because God. all I'd say is, my dad, my late father, died a few years ago. Um, he and he used to go to the gym near him where he lived in Fulham. And um, me and my brother often talked about how, my God, you know, how just the whole idea of him going to this. She was like, "Oh my God, God knows what it gets up." To. And uh, that was what he reminded me of. It's a real observation, really. That old, old guys do. That's what happened. I mean, that's an absolute thing. When you're retired and you haven't got you know much else going on, you go it's to just the gym. The lingering. And the, uh, but everything about it is brilliantly yeah, observed. It is. Yeah, it is. It really reminded me of my dad. I have to say. <laughs> and not in a good way. <laughs> not in a good way. <laughs> oh, God. On that bombshell, then. Oh, well, one thing I do want to point out before we go this. Yes. So, you know, we have a fascination with when the title cards for shows show up. Yeah. And the title card for this comes at the very end of the show before a musical cue. Oh, the musical cue. The- I did I know. not know what to make it's of. It's astonishing, yeah. <laughs> but it, the, music, the, the theme tune, the musical cue is really disturbing. I think, again, deliberately. It's part discordant, of the whole, it's, off, it's yeah. intrusive, it's yeah. bizarre. Yeah. And yeah. I, I genuinely, at one point I was like, what? Because bear in mind, so there's not a lot of music or indeed, is there any all the way through it? There might be a little plinky plonky piano at one bit, but it's is. almost entirely without music. I think there are bits, of and then music, you yeah. get to the end, and this noise starts, mm. and you're just like, I, I was like, is there something else on? Like, what's is this? Is it this is the really show? Disconcerting. Yeah. Mm. yeah, every sense is tortured. <laughs> yeah. I think in the end, though, I haven't, have you finished it? Yet, no. Uh, I think in the end, it's going to be a celebration of that marriage. Though. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, yeah, I rather, think so you too. know, as much as anything, I think but, yeah. so too. Yeah. But, Right, then, Marriage, which has aired, the first episode has aired on BBC One on Sunday. The second one is on tonight? Yes. Monday? Yes. Uh, And then the next two next week? Yes. Very, very good. Right, finally, this week, we have Bad Sisters. This is Sharon Horgan's new show, and it stars her, Sarah Green, Eve Hewson, and The Last Kingdom's Eva Berthistle as the Garvey sisters, uh, who've had it up to here with their brother-in-law, Anne-Marie Duff's husband, Clace Bang. And with good reason, because he's an irredeemable bellend. There's a theme on this week's podcast. Uh, But when he turns up dead, good, uh, it turns out there might be something rotten in the state of Dublin. Uh, Boyd, is it... Good to be bad. <laughs> I, I look. I kind of the roses. I peaked with roses are red. My you fucking, did. So I've got nothing else. Yeah, fair enough. Um, I've been looking forward to this series a long for a long time because I remember when it was announced that Sharon Horgan was creating um, this show, which was basically about a group of sisters and a horrible man in their life and how they did they dealt with it. Did, have they or have they not possibly killed him? I mean, that is the premise. Um, and. Uh, sure enough, it's arrived. It was originally going to be t- titled Emerald, by the way, and it's now called Bad Sisters. And it's also is what I didn't realise actually is it is based on a Flemish series called Clan. Um, oh. Yeah, so it's an adaptation of that series. But I think it goes. I think it's quite different in, in tone. I mean, I've read that it was. I haven't seen the original. <laughs> I'm completely making that up. Um, but. I have to say, this is this is an Apple TV show. It's apologies, they're not paying us. It's another triumph <laughs> for Apple TV Plus because maybe they should be paying us. They probably should. Oh, they totally should. Apple, if you're listening, please send please sacks of cash to the pilot TV <laughs> yeah. office. We really like it. Yeah. But the first scene, the tone is set in the first scene, and this is not a spoiler because it's literally the first scene. So it's the funeral of Anne Marie Duff's character's husband, played by the great Clash Bang of Dracula fame. And his body is in the coffin. It's like an open coffin in yeah. her home. And he's got an erection. This dead corpse has an erection. And you're immediately like, what a brilliant intro to the tone <laughs> of this show, which has got death, 
abuse. Talk about controlling. Mm, he's awful. He is. Yeah. Oh, so hideous monster. Maybe one of the worst. Right. I think exactly. So what we're going to have to say. If you think the controlling bastard men in marriage are bad, <laughs> wait till you get to Clash Bang in this thing. He is a fucking monster. Yeah. And I think it's really interesting the extent to which he is horrendously awful. And I think it's absolutely valid. I think people, you might think that it's slightly one-dimensional. People might think, you know... I haven't read interviews yet with Clash, Clash about this thing yet, but I'm fascinated to know what he says about because often actors say, oh, you know, I found the humanity. And there's no fucking... No. This guy no. is 100%... A disgrace. But people like that do exist. Right. Yeah. And that's I agree. The thing. I, oh, I, I agree. didn't feel that he was oh, not completely. Believable. 100%. You, you go to social occasions, and there are men like this there who mm. are fucking nightmares, and you want them to be destroyed. <laughs> and in this show, they are. He is destroyed. So, right, he is dead. So, the, the structure of the show is it flashes back to yeah. show how fucking horrendous he was in his marriage to Amory. And Duff. how he came about being dead and how it came about being dead although that's the whole thing there, can't, there is a kind of mystery element to it too um, whereby you know he's dead and you know he's been killed but who in fact did mm. which among the siblings actually did it who is you know the awareness is is Amory Duff his wife aware you know all of that That there, so there's a mystery element element to it that plays out very cleverly but I just think the this is a show where I mean talk about every element of it for me rang true the dialogue Chernobyl has done a brilliant job um, with people co- people co-writing it as well. The cast, Amory Duff, brilliant as that, just mm. showing what it's like for a woman in an abusive relationship and how difficult it is to kind of deal with it. And uh, you know, all her sisters are telling her that this guy is a fucking monster and she's got to get rid of him and she's got to extra- extricate herself. But it's hard because they've got a kid. You know, they've got. She's got a teenage daughter who, she, who you know, he's very charming with in many ways. I mean, you know, he has a charm. He has a surface charm, of course, to him. That's how a lot of these people operate and get their way. But I just thought, and then you've got this um, legal guy played by Brian Gleeson with his um, half brother played by Daryl McCormack, who was in that film um, "Good Luck to You, Leo Grand" mm. with Emma Thompson, which is he's really good in that. And the, and, he, and the Brian Gleeson character is is the, the guy who's insured Clash Bang and wants and doesn't want to pay out. So he's kind of investigate this whole investigation happening, not by a cop, but by this really kind of ludicrous insurance figure and his, and his sidekick, played by Daryl. And even that was brilliant because I thought it would it was fascinating for it not to be police who are getting involved, but this insurance man yeah. who's completely wants one outcome um, above all others. And he's completely ruthlessly, he literally goes to the funeral to try and um, talk to the sisters and get to the truth of it. This is just another brilliantly made, again, has that Apple TV plus sheen yeah. of kind the of... Special cinematic, the special camera they use. The special camera they use. It looks amazing. It's set in a, you know, fantastic... It, it, it's set in Ireland and, and, and it uses that, all those locations really well. All the characters are brilliantly well drawn. I think um, my favourite was, was Sarah Green's character. I think it's fascinating. Mm. With her eye patch. She has an eye patch. When we first see her, she's in the bath. She yeah. has one eye. It's yeah, like, she has you know, one it's eye. It's striking. It, very striking. It just, everything about it works for me. Yeah. Just little moments. There's a bit where Eve Hewson's character causes one of the other characters who meet later on to have a bike accident. And that's just a beautifully mm. constructed sequence. Yeah. And then the reunion of those characters is, again, really well put together, well observed. Um, yeah, loved it. I I agree with everything Boyd said. And the thing I liked about this, um, the, the brother-in-law who's a shit, is that you not only see it from the spectacle, perspective that he's awful to the wife but he's hideous to the sisters and that's the interesting thing I think because in this flashback I won't ruin it but like there's a flashback to a Christmas where you see his control over the wife um, Amory Duff but also how he takes pleasure in insulting Mm. and humiliating each of the sisters so Mm. that's brilliant because then you know that any one of them 
could yeah. want to do do um, you know off him, yeah. and or it might have just been a collaborative affair. And they just refer to him as the prick. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, the works... first episode is called the prick. Yeah, yeah. and he yeah. works with the, the interesting. He works with with Sharon Horgan's character in the same company, and they're, vying, yeah, they're both architects. Yeah, they? and she's about to get promotion. And he's fucking. So there's there's a lot of the added complications to most. It's multi layered, and that's it's, why I oh, enjoy completely multi layered. Yeah. But just the casting of Clash Bang, absolute genius. Because I I loved him in Dracula. He was amazing in Dracula, um, and has been brilliant in every other thing he's done but he's just the perfect man to play that kind of absolute nightmare of a human being. He is indeed. Right, that is Bad Sisters and that comes to Apple TV Plus on Friday. What is our pick of the week? Difficult between marriage and Bad Sisters for me. They're both fantastic, I think. So maybe just about Bad Sisters, but marriage is... For different reasons, isn't it? They're they're two really brilliant shows, I think. I'm going to plump for Bad Sisters, but marriage is very Mm. good and you should just need to stick with it. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, also out this week, we should mention She-Hulk does come to Disney Plus on the 17th, but that is embargoed. We will probably cover it on the live show, the Live 200 show, which I may or may not have mentioned. Is there anything else I've missed, boy, before we wrap up, before the gentleman banging on the glass outside? Oh, sorry. Outside, uh, new series of Yellowstone arrives on Paramount Plus oh, yes, um, right. on Wednesday. Um, Sprung is an Amazon freebie show, arrives on Friday. It's one of their, they big going on about Day of the Dead on Sky Sci-Fi on Monday. Which I wanted to see and wasn't allowed to. Yeah. Right, that is it for this 199th episode of the Pilot TV Podcast. As ever, if you want to leave us a final star rating on Apple Podcasts and those will be gratefully received and do follow us on all the socials at Pilot TV Pod as well as at James C. Dyer at Boyd Hilton and at K. Ribeiro you all know what's going to happen next week as I've banged on about it quite enough already but if you've not yet bought your tickets to 200 then get thee to the nearest web browser and do so at once so we can all celebrate this momentous occasion together as for what shows we'll be reviewing well there's a little show called House of the Dragon there's She-Hulk and I can't quite remember oh yes that's right there's the final triumphant season of C which I know for a fact that Terry would be very, very, very excited to watch. So don't miss it. See you on Sunday. Pilot out.